just had a new album come out a couple weeks ago. The surf band, The Anonymous Henchmen, they're based out of Omaha, Nebraska. This is the song, Your Move Creep, from their album, The Coming Thing. Check them out at anonymousheshmensurf.bandcamp.com. Let them know that you heard about them here on the podcast after you're done listening to the show devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. It's episode 337, the final episode of September 2017, which means it's the final week for this year's Sword and Sandals and Monsters Month here on the podcast. I've had a blast doing these films, and I've got one more. We're going to go out with a good one. We're going to be talking about a movie called Goliath versus the vampires it's got a number of other names as well but that's the name that you're going to find it if you decide to go try to buy it on dvd by the time you're done listening to this episode and hearing me discuss the film with a friend of the show really good friend alan trump it's going to be a blast now alan earlier this year attended necronomicon 2017 in rhode island and he's going to tell us a little bit about that then we're going to dive into the movie. And then he'll probably mention a few other Sword and Sandal and Monster movies that you can look up to tide you over until Sword and Sandal and Monsters Month 2018 next year. So that's coming, but that's not all. I've got a lot of stuff to get through this week because as a bonus, extra feature, something that I didn't plan on until relatively recently, this has nothing to do with Sword and Sandals and Monsters, but it has everything to do with being a monster kid and loving new retro monster movies. I've got writer-director Christopher R. Mim on the show. His new movie, Demon with the Atomic Brain, is coming out next week. World premiere! Less than seven days from now, it will be showing for the first time in public, and he's going to tell us all about it. He's going to tell us about his experiences leading up to the film, talk a little bit about the film, talk a little bit about what's coming up. Well, okay, not really about what's coming up next. He held those cards real close to the chest, but we had a really fun time and chatted about that as well. So that's coming up to my sneak a little feedback in. We're going to get to all of that. Man, there is so much to get to. Enough with the jibber-jabber. produced amid pagan palaces on Mediterranean shores where Hercules lived, loved, and awed his fellow men. Here is fascinating drama, epic in scope, of palace intrigue and murder, of deeds reckless and heroic, the great curse and labors laid upon Hercules. May the curse of the gods be upon you. May the hatred of men persecute you until you have paid for the blood of a feature. A love so great it defied the gods. Hercules, a legend undimmed in thousands of years, all here to bring you thrill upon thrill. The voyage to distant lands, the attack of the monkey man, the dragon monster guarding the golden fleece, the love-starred warrior women on the island of Amazon, who knew so well how to entice and tease and kiss before they kill. The 
Vengeance of the Sea God. The battle for the crown of Jolko. from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans. Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horrors Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. John Drew Barrymore as the mad master of the black arts, using every evil means in his desire to conquer the world. Tomorrow you will present Lucilius and his generals my vestal virgins. Enslaved women did his bidding. Soldiers were transformed into mindless puppets of the goddess of zombies. The goddess who punishes with fire and mummifies with the power of her evil third eye. Spectacle as big as the eye can perceive. Azir! Azir! The Romans are coming! What? This is Count 
Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. It is I, Cobrek. That's all I got. Hey, welcome to Monster Kid Radio. Alan Trump, how you doing, sir? I'm doing real well. How about yourself, Derek? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, and I'm excited to talk about this one. This one, wow, Goliath and the Vampires. We're going to get into it, but, but first, I want to catch up with you, Alan. I haven't seen you since Monster Bash. I don't think we've really chatted very much since Monster Bash. How have things been going with you? Things things been going very well. Had a good time at Monster Bash. Still trying to pay some of the bills from that. Uh, mentioned to you previous, <laughs> previously before I got out there, went out to Necronomicon in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, did a little presentation like I had done previously at uh, Portland on H.P. Lovecraft-related uh, movie posters. Uh, that, I think, went real well. Got to go to their Eldritch Ball, and I wore a stunning costume. I hope you'll appreciate this. Stunning costume of a octopus Mexican wrestling mask and a uh, green satiny um uh what was it oh sort of wrestling cape yeah yeah and and a cthulhu tie that i picked up on etsy so i was quite resplendent <laughs> so, tell me there are pictures tell me there are pictures alan you know what there aren't pictures <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, no. I, but i can reproduce that stuff. <laughs> oh okay 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 and my good friend barry york went out with me he um he got himself some glow-in-the-dark liquid, a black sort of lab coat, and went as an employee of uh, uh, Herbert West's West Corp Corporation. So he was a, a reanimated dude running around there. That sounds awesome. Good times. Yeah, <laughs> good times. Great. Although I must admit, the guy who organized the event saw me in the mask and everything like that as we were coming in and kind of gave me, well, perhaps I'm misunderstanding this look he gave me, but it was kind of like, you know... This is just the sort of person that's defaming the image of our, you know, literary mentor. But he paid his $80, so let him in. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, you're mixing two of my favorite things right there, Lovecraft and Lucha. Come on. Man. That, sound, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Right on. And then you were you poked around Salem for a little bit, man. It just sounds like you had a good time up good. there. It was good. Yeah, it was good. Went up to Salem, took the little trolley round. You know, Salem is only eight blocks wide, but got to go to just briefly. They're having that big exhibition of Kirk Hammett's movie posters there at the local museum. They have a statue of Elizabeth Montgomery from Bewitched in one of the town squares. Wow. And, uh, wow. There was... Plenty of stuff. There was more stuff than we could accomplish in an afternoon. It was a lot of fun to head out there. And uh, maybe I'll get back there someday. Good times. It's eight blocks wide, but still you couldn't knock it all off. Wow. That just sounds like there's a lot to do, a lot to see. We were only there for a few hours. You know, you could go through. There are all sorts of touristy witch houses you could go into. There are graveyards you could tour. It's on the coast. So if you wanted to do go on boats and things like that, they had that. Uh, they have the most incredible assortment of Wicca, New Age, black magic 
assorted stuff. And I think I posted some pictures. They have one of the best wax museums of, of horror-related stuff that I've ever seen, in which you had Vincent Price as uh, Dr. Fibes. You had all the contemporary monsters like Pinhead and Jason and Freddy, along with even things like the Blind Dead were showing up in this little wax museum. Oh, so it was wow. incredible. Very good trip. Brian and Gwen Callahan, the people behind the Lovecraft Film Festival, people who run it, uh, they were also there, and they posted some pictures of that movie poster exhibit that you were talking about. Yeah. Oh, man. And, I, you know, with your poster presentation that you've done over the years a couple of times, I'm sure that that's, that had to have been heaven, man, just being it, around it, those posters. It, it was, but you know what? The You know, some of the prices on those things, when you get up into some of the – uh, the original Universal posters for like Rare Bride of Frankenstein stuff. It, it's so astronomical that I'm sort of happy that, you know, hey, I picked up a double feature of uh, Saga of the Draculas and Vengeance of, of the Zombies for 25 bucks. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's really yeah. more my forte. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had to cut myself off from eBay like over the past year and a half I've stayed away from eBay because I can get sucked into this rabbit hole of lobby cards from Mexico and oh, a, yeah. you know, a day bill from Australia and I was like oh no no stop so yeah I haven't been on eBay in forever for that <laughs> reason you are wise beyond your years Derek. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well you know I could talk movie posters with you for hours because I mean I love Love this stuff so much, but it's Sword and Sandal month, so we've got to talk about a Sword and Sandal movie. We we got to get into uh, a movie that you told me is one that you uh, grew up with, Goliath and the Vampires. Is that what it was called growing up for you? Because I know it's had a couple different titles. The, you know, the title that I've seen it on, the title that is on the disc that I have, and and I guess I'll mention where I saw it recently is I've got this uh, DVD, not a Blu-ray, but it's from. Uh, Wild East Productions, a, a double feature of Goliath and the Vampires and, and Goliath and the Barbarians. And even on the print that I looked at, which is a pretty good print, although some folks have said, you know, I've, you know, I don't know about the aspect ratio and the th things like that, but I think it looks pretty good. It, it's the film is labeled The Vampires, and that's the way I've always seen it, even when it was in syndication packages. When I was growing up here, they showed it in St. Louis as part of the regular AIP sort of shock theater package. Hmm. You know, they didn't have it mixed in with other peplum films that would show up other places. This only showed up as the vampires. So I guess that's why they put it in that time slot. Huh. And I'm sure we'll talk about this. The vampires in this aren't really your traditional vampires. So that's interesting. No. Huh. But then I guess, you know, the, these films, these peplum films had a habit of, well, not, not necessarily a habit, but like, there's the one movie with the Medusa, but it's not the woman with the snake hair. You know, it's a different kind of Medusa. So, you know, it's a different take, you know. I'll take it. Yep. I'll take it. I, yep. I don't know what version I have, but I have it on disc here as well. It's interesting that you brought up Wild East because I, again, it's a, that's another website I try to stay away from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because their Spaghetti Western catalog is amazing. I, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that saw a listing for those. Oh, boy. Yeah, I could get lost in that for a while. You know, do you want to say anything just right off the bat about that uh, the Italian director Sergio Corbucci had something to do with You and I are on the same wavelength because that's exactly where I was headed here, man, because I brought up the Spaghetti Westerns okay. and Sergio Corbucci. I know him from the Westerns. Uh, he is one of the, I guess there's three Sergios. <laughs> 
<laughs> did a lot of spaghetti westerns, okay. uh, and, and Carbucci is wow, uh, Django. What more can you say? What more do you need to say other than Django? I mean, it's one of the most popular, with good reason, spaghetti westerns out there. Do you know much about Corbucci outside of the spaghetti westerns? I really don't. You know, I just, you know, I have, and I, and I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know, haven't seen that many spaghetti westerns ex- apart from some of the Sergio Leone, uh, Clint Eastwood things. So I know that in, in researching him just a little bit, it sounds like his, his features had a tendency toward, and, and it, it kind of, manifests itself maybe in this film uh, towards more violence than you might see elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, Django definitely is pretty violent (laughs) for for a Western. Um, You know, and I don't want to say that he only did Westerns. I mean, some of the stuff that he's done that I really respond to, Minnesota Clay is a really, really good spaghetti Western with Cameron Mitchell. Uh, for example. But yeah, no, this one is is pretty violent. Goliath versus the vampires or against the vampires or whatever you want to call it. And if you look at his history and some of the other movies that he's done, he doesn't pull back. You know, if, if somebody's going to get shot, we're going to see it. If somebody's going to get stabbed, we're going to see it. And I was really surprised to see that in this film that we're talking about. But then when I look at the other Westerns that he's done, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> and, and of course, it, this one, it, it sounds like there was interaction from himself, uh, from Sergio Corbucci, as well as with Giacomo Gentilimo. And I'm, again, I'm massacring people's names as well. I'll, I'll, I'll plead guilty to that. But who also directed, which you just recently did, Hercules and the Moon Men? Did that, and he was involved with this one. I, I don't know much about these men's careers. I mean, and I've talked about this since we started doing this month. One of the things that I love about doing Monster Kid Radio is that sometimes I'll experience a movie and find out something about a film that I've never seen before. And this month has been eye-opening for me because this is something, this sub-sub-sub-genre I I knew very little about going into it other than, hey, it's Hercules, you know. So I I don't have a lot of background or knowledge with these guys and gals that made these films. I'm real curious. I'd like to learn more about some of these people Uh, and just what they went through to make these films. This aesthetic is fascinating to me and I enjoyed every one of them and Goliath and the Vampires. Wow. (laughs) So different than the previous three films I've done this month. It is. And I, and I'm sure that it's just like when you were talking to Ron and Dominique concerning Hercules in the Condit world, there must've been some use of sets and costumes from other films with this one, because this movie looks so expensive. You know, you have people on horseback, you have ornate costumes, you have landscape, you know, you have buildings that have minarets and things on them that are not backdrops or anything. A lot of the set design is pretty incredible. You go from things like just the villages that get burned by raiders to underground citadels to uh, mad doctor laboratories to harems to uh, market squares. It's got a lot going on for it. It had so much. And not just the violence. I mean, the the violence, the blood, that shocked me. I didn't expect that. But there's an epicness. There's a scope to this movie that I didn't get out of the previous three films I've done this month. I think a lot of it has to do with sets, like you said. Having the sets, having the costumes laying around. Let's just put some actors in and call it good. There is so much production value here. I would love to know what the budget was on this compared to, say, like some of the other films mm-hmm. of this type. Because it is – it's huge. 
It's vast. There's so much. Yeah. And, and sadly, unfortunately, even in this Internet era, perhaps someone like Tim Lucas or August Ragone could flesh out more details on this sort of thing. But I don't think there's a lot of documentation on this particular film. Uh, you know, I, just from my cursory look, you know, you can find things out about the background of, you know, some of the gothic thrillers, of course, the universal stuff, you know, even Jess Franco films. But this one, there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of detail as to what influenced it. You know, what was its financing like? Uh, who came up with this concept? I've been working on a commentary track uh, for somebody, and it's an Italian film. And I'm finding that not only is there limited information out there about this movie, but what information is out there is all in Italian. And I don't speak Italian. I don't read Italian. And Google Translate will only take you so far. So, yeah, trying to find information about some of these movies has been a very fun scavenger hunt because you end up finding all sorts of other things. But yeah, there's just not much out there. I even have a book in Italian that uh, I bought pretty much okay for the artwork and for the photos and things, but it's called Mondo Incredibili, Il Cinema Fantastico Aventuro Italiano. <laughs> the whole book is devoted to all the strange fantasy uh, uh, genres that show up in these movies. Everything from Hercules and Machiste films to the Spacemen films, you know, the Gamma One sort of thing. Oh, wow, and, I love those. Uh, and even things like some of the, when they were kind of making uh, the Italian ripoffs of Escape from New York, stuff oh. like that. But the problem is, I, there is definitely an entry here on Goliath and the Vampires, or as they call it, Machiste contra il vampiro. <laughs> but uh, I, I even ran it through Google Translate myself, and there's almost nothing new. Yeah that you can't find elsewhere. So even in a resource like that, it's, you know, it's one of the great mysteries of our time. <laughs> that and that and why do bad things happen to good people? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to go from that, but okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, there's just not that much out there. Yeah. You want to talk about the plot? Well, I, before we get to that, I, well, yeah, yeah. Why not? Why don't we talk a little bit about the story? Because, I guess what I wanted to talk about next has to do with the story. The beginning of the film reminded me of a movie that I loved growing up. And, and I still love to this day. And, and I think Alan knows this. We were just talking about Lovecraft earlier. One of my favorite authors, one of my, my absolute favorite writer is Robert E. Howard, you know, a contemporary of, of Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching the beginning of this film and I can't help but think that's the beginning of Conan the Barbarian right there just the way yeah. they come into the village and except it's a lot longer <laughs> and, and dare I say even a lot more gruesome. Yeah. I mean, I know Conan's got both beheadings and dogs killing people and fire and all that, but there's something about the grittiness of this that is a little bit more gruesome to me. And just like, wow, what, what is happening here? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't want to dwell on it too much, but yeah, you're right. It's pretty savage because you remember this movie was made in 1961, right? And, you know, I think, well, the 70s, you could get away just about with anything. But in this one, you have people being slashed with swords. You don't really see. No, I take that back. There's one point in which somebody gets slashed and you see blood spurt from mm -hmm. the wound. And uh, uh, men are being hung upside down and burned. 
Of course, as it says in the trailer, unsullied virgins and alluring concubines are being stolen by raiders of the evil vampire lord Kobrak from this. Goliath's mother is lying there bleeding, you know, when he finds her and she gasps out her last breath. Mm -hmm. It's very disturbing, you know, for a, for a film from this period. And, and this is in the trailer. A poor guy gets an arrow right in the eye. That's when I, yeah, I was like, what? what? <laughs> I actually had to stop and back up. And, and, and like, so, like I said, I saw this movie when I was about 13. And I'm like, holy cow. And, and it's such a contrast to at the very beginning of the film, you have Goliath farming he's plowing a field right you know so you have this nice agrarian uh thing and he uh uh he winds up saving um uh, the little boy that we see throughout the film jiro and and i think there actually was a monster at the beginning of this film that got edited out because you see something in the water with uh with the boy, and it kind of looks like the creature from uh, Phantom from Ten Thousand Leagues, <laughs> just very briefly. But and, and and they said, "Oh, you saved the boy from drowning." Said, well, why would you need to pick up an axe and jump in the ocean to save the boy from drowning? So something got cut there. I don't know why you would cut a monster out of a Hercules movie or a Machiste, which is his movie, but uh, they definitely did. And and then you jump right into. Our village is being burned. Goliath gets there too late. His and his his young friend uh, Jiro's mother and father have been killed, and Goliath's mother is dying. And pretty rude awakening right off the bat. And I've watched the trailer a few times, you know, so I knew you know the guy with the arrow in the eye. I knew that was coming, but there is a level of brutalness to this that I just was not expecting at all, and. I mean, it had my attention. It didn't turn me off. Don't get me wrong. Like I love Conan the Barbarian, and that opening village attack scene is amazing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, wow, this was. Uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I'm kind of, uh, you know, speechless. And, you know, and you go from the let's rescue the person from drowning. There's a little bit about you know she's just mad because you're not marrying her. You know you ought to just marry her. You know this kind of kind of gentle ribbing back and forth about being you know you know your fiance mm -hmm. or you whatever. And then we so you think you're kind of back on track, and then boom, right into the village attack, and it goes on and on and on yep. and wow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like Rod Barnett was talking about. Hercules and the Moon Men has a certain portion of filler to round out the mm -hmm. running time. This movie doesn't have a whole lot of filler, although it does have a sandstorm. <laughs> but <laughs> just kind of rant, yeah. Another yeah. sandstorm. Okay. What's that? But, uh, <laughs> but this the pain of this thing is pretty extreme. It doesn't it doesn't give you too much room to breathe. You know, we were talking earlier that this has got so much. You know, it's got so many sets and production design and all that. It's used so efficiently. None of it feels like filler to me. This feels like an epic quest that we're going on, and there's no downtime. I mean, even the dialogue between Goliath and the kid about getting married and all this, none of it feels like filler. I mean, this is all character stuff that's mm -hmm. that's necessary to really kind of understand some of the things that are happening later. It all kind of fits. Yep. Nothing nothing seems out of place and nothing weighs it down. Nope. 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 So so we get to this village and it's it, yeah, um Machiste Goliath. This is technically a Machiste film. But it was called Goliath when it was brought over here. So uh, 
Goliath, which he say Gordon Scott, the first time he did one of these movies, <laughs> finds his mother and she's been, you know, beaten and hurt and man, what a mess. His fiance Julia has been abducted by the Raiders, so he has he vows mm-hmm. vengeance and he, you know, he, you know, he promises justice to the people who've done this and destroyed his village. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you want to say anything about you know, since you just mentioned Gordon Scott? Did you want to talk about him at all? So again, this is somebody else I know very little about. Is he an American? Uh, I think ac- he, actually, oh. well, you know, boy, what a good segue. Guess where he was born? Okay, I, I just pulled up his listing. Yeah, I was like, wow. There you go. He was born here in Portland, Oregon. That's right. <laughs> Oh, I even went to University of Oregon for a year, or for a term, excuse me. Uh, I wonder how he ended up in the movies. That's fascinating. One thing is he was born Gordon Weshkul, but producer Cy Weintraub for MGM mm-hmm. uh, was looking for, to cast a new Tarzan, oh. and he was a lifeguard at the time. He had been okay. he had been an infantry drill instructor, it says, and uh, uh, had a variety of jobs, and so he made several of the Tarzan features, but they insisted that he change his name because Wereschkul sounded too much like Weissmuller. Mm, okay. So that's where you got your Gordon Scott. And as a matter of fact, he appeared once on uh, You Bet Your Life show, and uh, Groucho Marx got out that great Scott years before the Rocky Horror Picture Show <laughs> for Gordon Scott. <laughs> So he said, you know, he was into bodybuilding and things because, you know, he wanted to attract girls. Yeah, okay, all right. And he was even at one time married to Hollywood actress Vera Miles, and they had a child together. Oh, wow. He apparently was pretty much a fixture of, you know, uh, until he passed away in uh, 2007. You could see him at some of these celebrity and memorabilia shows. Hmm. So it would have been great to hang out with him a little bit. Wow. Yeah, again, somebody I don't know very much about, and I feel like I should... Especially since, you know, Oregonian, man. I need to go find his, his old stomping grounds. F- find the gym he trained at to pick up the chicks. <laughs> <laughs> so so what did you think of his machiste against some of the other actors? Kirk Morris, I think it was. And or, Alan Steele. Uh, yeah. I thought he was very good. Oh, I thought he was great. So I thought he was good through the, most of the movie. At the end of the film, and, and we'll get there. There are some things that he does that put him above good for me. I mean, that's where I was really like, okay, this guy, he's got it. He knows what he's doing. He's not just a muscle man. He's an actor. And I'm really enjoying what he's doing. I thought he was great. Like I said, and, you know, I don't know how much of it is the dubbing or anything, but, you know, his attitude and everything, he he really seemed to be able to carry himself well and uh, uh, react you know, properly in the situations. And, and I'm not putting down, you know, for instance, uh, uh, some of the other folks get through these terrible labors with just a grin on their face. He's really emoting. Yeah, his body language, what he does with his face, it's pretty stellar. I think of the four films that I've seen this month, he's my favorite muscle man lead of the four that I've seen. And as, as I understand it, there actually were, you know, he is Machiste in this. Uh, but there actually were also Goliath movies made over in Italy. But I think American International, when they saw this, they he was going to make him Hercules again. But they had another picture out called Goliath and the Barbarians that was doing really well. So they slapped the Goliath on this one. Oh, okay. That's how you wound up with 
not Hercules, not Bachiste, but Goliath in this case. Okay. And in his book that uh, Sam Arkov has a book called Flying Through Hollywood by the Seat of My Pants, he talks about going into uh, over to Italy and watching like four of these muscleman pictures a day at the different uh, places and saying, okay, we can use this one. Okay, nah, we can't. And they said they went through like, you know, dozens of these movies trying to find ones that they thought would work well with the American audiences. And I'm sure a lot of it was, okay, which one has the most highest production value? Which one has some monsters? Which one has the most beautiful women? That sort of thing. Wow. I love, I've loved these movies that I've done so far. I'm looking forward to doing this again next September. I don't know if I could sit around and just watch four or five of these in a row per day. Yeah. That, that would get a little much. Well, he also said, you know, sometimes we didn't get through the whole picture. Ah, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. So what did you think of the scene? So the women get abducted uh, um, and uh, uh, Goliath vows vengeance. But meanwhile, they get taken on to a, uh, um, the, the raider's ship, which is taking them over to the island of Salmanac. And again, here we go. Pretty horrifying. It's not bad enough. They're on the boat. And what, what do the raiders say? <laughs> Throw the old women to the sharks. Oh my. God. Well, and then they do it. <laughs> and then they do. <laughs> you, you get to see some sharks swimming around. You don't actually, thank God, you don't actually see anybody devoured, you know, but and then you have them going down into the hold and uh, taking forced blood donations from the most beautiful women. What's that? E- except for, except for uh, Goliath's love, because already the, uh, I think his name is Amal, the, ship, the, the black ship's captain mm-hmm. falls in love with her. He can't bring himself to cut her and, and take her blood. Um, but then you have an incredibly gothic horror scene. What did you think about the scene in which he delivers the chalice of blood to his master, Kobrak? I was pretty impressed because, I mean, this is, what, 61? Hammer's out there doing its thing. So, I mean, you do get kind of some of that, cal- you know, the gothic horror stuff is out there. And, of course, Italy is kind of aping some of that, that style as well. To have that in here and not just kind of thrown in there as filler, again, it was pretty creepy, and it, it speaks to the production value again as well, because it's a different kind of shooting. I mean, you don't shoot a muscle man movie like a gothic film, and you got to do different things with the lights and things like that. I thought it was very effective and very well placed. It didn't feel out of place for me. It was like, of course, they're draining blood, and they're, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And what did you think of it? I was just startled about how, as you say, this is when you talk about how odd sometimes putting these strange elements together. In the film, you know, the the ship's commander goes into this red litten ship's captain's room, and there's a red curtained alcove off to the side, and he carries this chalice of blood, and he's so nervous, he's spilling the blood all over the place, and as he's walking up towards it, and there's an owl in a in a cage nearby to give that sort of mystical atmosphere. And he hands the blood up to this curtain and this diseased looking muscular hand that looks like it's lost half of his skin comes out and has long fingernails and it grasps the blood. And again, the blood is spilling everywhere and it slowly pulls the chalice back in. And then the curtains explode with wind. Like there's some sort of, occult culmination of power 
when the vampire drinks the blood and then the Amal, the ship's captain goes out, slams the door and just lays with his back against the door for a couple of minutes, breathing heavily. Like, you know, I'm not getting paid enough for this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I, I thought that was an, in, you know, incredible to have that is exactly like you say, something that might belong in a Transylvanian castle taking place aboard this, uh, ship cabin. I loved it. I, mean, I love mixing my dark horror with other genres, whether it's fantasy, whether it's superhero stuff, whether it's Westerns, you know, I love mixing that and to have this, this moment of Gothic, I guess, in this, in the mix here, I mean, it establishes exactly who we're going to be up against. I mean, Cobra and them, I mean, that's, that's bad news, you know, yep. and, and it really, Raises the stakes without threatening the hero directly. I loved it. I I, I loved it. I, I wish that almost every interaction we had with the villains, with Kilbrek and that sort of thing, was that explosive. I mean, it's still pretty cool yep. to see the things that happens at the end and all that. And, and I like that too. But th there is a sense of awe that comes here. And to have his underlings like the ship captain react the way that they did to the situation. I mean, that, that makes it terrifying to me. That, that's if the bad guy's scared of the bigger bad guy, well then, then we got a problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it might be worth also mentioning what the outfits of the Raiders are like, just real briefly. They wear these sort of leather hoods with spikes on them mm -hmm. and you can't see any eyes and, the hoods or masks are cut so that they look like lightning bolts descending, you know, down on the face. So there's no human features to relate to, and they're wearing shoulder pads again, covered with spikes and uh, pretty vicious-looking characters. I say this a lot. If I could have an action figure based on some of these characters, <laughs> this would be pretty intimidating to line up on my desk at work because they have a bunch of these little... <laughs> Now, I got to admit, I, I think I would want an action figure of, uh, what was his name? Um, Procrustes, the big rock monster from well, yeah. Hercules in the Haunted World. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got to have some more I stuff. really liked him. Yeah. I thought he was, pretty, he was pretty cool. And it's speaking, just to jump backwards with that, how some of these horror themes get integrated. When Rod and Dominique and you were talking about Hercules in the Haunted World, did you notice how when Christopher Lee summons Deonira out of out of a crypt, she pops up like Nosferatu? She, yes. You know, there. I edited that episode and put it out. And by the time I was done editing it, I realized, you know, there's still a good hour of conversation that I could have had with Rod. a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff that we didn't even talk about. But no, the, yeah. the rising up. I love mixing the horror into this stuff, man. I love it. I've yep. got uh, yep. I've got the movie playing right now on my Kindle while we're talking with the sound off, and I intentionally went back to the bit where he brings the blood into the curtained room, and yeah, mm -hmm. I mean it gets me every time. It, it, <laughs> it's a great scene, and the look on his face as he's walking, you know, backing away from the curtains, it's phenomenal. And and so we go from that to then suddenly we're in a again, albeit very violent, again. We're kind of in a uh, uh, Arabian Nights Baghdad fantasy. Yeah, it's like we we've changed location again, and it's yeah. not. Yeah, 
and and the first thing that we see when we get to the island of Salmanac is this poor guy who apparently has committed some terrible crime like stealing a loaf of bread because he's starving and he's being whipped as he's made to climb this smooth pole above this platform festooned with iron spikes and he doesn't keep his grip too well and eventually slides down right onto the spikes they look a little rubbery to tell you the truth but um uh, <laughs> but like my god and this is not one of those witchfinder movies where the crowd is uh you know is saying yeah you know chop off their heads or burn them at the stake no these people are equally horrified by what's going on we are shown that this world is not a gentle place <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like my fantasy grim and gritty, but this was, yeah, <laughs> this, this is the kind of, yep, there he goes, I've got the scene right now playing on my Kindle, like I said, and there he just went down the pole. And then you get the shot of him on the spikes. <laughs> yeah. And you actually see, you said they look a little rubbery, and they do, but yeah, he's laying on the spikes, and he, the spikes are coming out of his chest, and yeah. there's blood, and there's... You know, it's like, wow, that's, this is not a gentle place. No. Uh, the, the world that we're hanging out in with uh, Goliath and company is not one you probably want to spend a lot of time in. This scene is being witnessed by the sultan, the supposed ruler of Salmanac, and even he is horrified by it. And here you find out that he is just kind of a puppet ruler for Kobrak, who is the power behind the scene and is being manipulated by the very lovely woman Astra played by this by a, a lady named Gianna Maria Canali uh, I won't go into too much about you know she's a very beautiful woman she looked a lot like they somebody pointed out she looks like Ava Gardner somewhat and oh uh, yeah yeah and she uh, she apparently was married at one time to uh, Ricardo Freda who did the section on the witch's curse huh okay and, of course, she was in Evampiri, or as I've seen uh, English translations or English versions of it, The Devil's Commandment, you know, as, as a, a beautiful woman who needs blood again to retain her youth through the ministrations of a mad scientist, which is, I think, what the first directorial uh, step of Mario Bava, I think. She was also in Hercules, the first Hercules yep. film with Steve Reeves. And it's amazing how much uh, cross-pollinization goes on with these things, because if you'll notice, Hercules's beloved Dianara from Hercules and the Haunted World is Goliath's girlfriend, Julia, in this movie, an actress named Leonora Rofo. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll believe your pronunciation. Sure, of course. That, well, both, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going by the phonetic spelling here. Hey, hey, we do the best we can. We do the best we yeah. can. I don't know if it's a production thing. I don't know if they were just happen to be a smaller pool of people to pull from when it comes to actors and actresses in Italy versus Hollywood. I don't know if they had a studio system kind of thing set up like Hollywood did back in the day, but to have these people kind of weaving in and out, it gives it a level of comfortness mm -hmm. without making it feel samey, samey because of the production design and the things happening in movies like this. So the Sultan sees that. And uh, so we have uh, Astra, uh, uh, like I said, and Astra is the bad girl. She's the brunette contra uh, Julia's blondness. <laughs> so, geez, you know, she's the, it seems like in all of these, again, we talked about uh, you and uh, Rod and Dominique and uh, 
uh, Chris McMillan all talked about how we have the, a lot of these Hercules type films have the scheming but beautiful woman who, uh, who eventually becomes enchanted by Hercules charms. Mm-hmm. So you, so we have that. So she is actually in league with Kobrak and, uh, talks to Kobrak at one point because she's afraid that, uh, the Sultan is going to turn on him. And she summons him by, and he appears rising up out of this strange pink mist, uh, from this cauldron. And he shows up again, sort of like a, an even higher level version of his soldiers with a huge beard and sort of glittering strange robes and spikes. And again, you can't see his eyes or anything. And he has this deep basso profundo voice when he talks to her. So, She's talking about, she knows about the arrival of Goliath in the city, and he's going to be a threat, and he's talking to Kobrak's apparition about that, and, you know, he has this elaborate plan that, okay, you should go and find Goliath's girlfriend and give him to the sultan to, you know, so that he, that'll distract him. And she says, you know, well, Kobrak, wouldn't it just be easier to kill him? (laughs) (laughs) To which he uh, replies to her something like, I want him alive because his magnificent body will serve as a model for the race of giants with which I shall dominate the earth. <laughs> I think Kobrak might have some baggage there that he needs to deal with a little bit. Not, not, not anything too terrible, you know, I mean, not there's anything wrong with that, but uh, uh, that's certainly an interesting yeah. way to put it. And, and, then he, and then he says to her, what are you looking at me for? Do you doubt my judgment? <laughs> I said, well, that's your judgment, I doubt, Kobrak, but, uh, you know, but I will obey, my lord. <laughs> you know, taken out of context, some of this stuff can sound totally ridiculous, but man, what? <laughs> I love it, though. I mean, it's all part of the... Th- oh, tell me you weren't thinking that, Derek. Oh, I know. I know. But I'm loving it, though. I mean, I'm like... This is great. I mean, it's making me smile. It's making me giggle a little bit. I'm having a great time. <laughs> His magnificent oh, good, body will be. <laughs> Come on now. Okay. Now, whatever other issues uh, Kobrak may have, you must admit he's very heavy metal. Oh, yeah. He takes it beyond Metallica into those like Viking metal bands, like I think I'm on Amrath or Sirith Ungol, or probably getting my metal bands mixed up, but but he's hardcore. Yeah, Cobra <laughs> yeah. is hardcore, and he looks great. I mean, we saw the the withered hand earlier, and a lot of times we'll see him in the movie. There's this pretty cool visual effect, you know, where he's kind of kind of there, kind of not, kind of fading in and out, phasing in and out. It looks great, and he looks great. He's a great villain. The thing that it reminded me of is because, you know, people try to attack him, but you can't really touch him when he's in that insubstantial state. He's kind of like when I used to read Tomb of Dracula comics. Folks would try and fire silver bullets into Dracula, but he kept turning into a mist. Right. You couldn't hurt him. Yeah. I mean, he's solid when he needs to be because later on we'll see him solidify enough to strangle somebody. Yep. But he still yep. looks kind of wavery, kind of see-through. So. While we're learning all this with Kobrek and you know his desires for Goliath, in the village, Goliath is tearing it up. 
I mean, he's a one-man wrecking crew where the people are coming through trying to get him, trying to stop him, trying to arrest him or kill him or whatever. And he's just breaking everything and pull, uses that pole that we talked about earlier to catch mm-hmm. some arrows that are being shot at him from like five feet away. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we are seeing yeah. Goliath's strength in... You know, I I bought it. I know a lot of these big rocks and the rubble. It's all rubber. You know, it's all sponges painted to look just right. You know, none of it's really him. But he's Gordon Scott is selling it. Yep. And, and there's not too much that he does that seems out of the realm of possibility here. Mm-hmm. He does pick up that whole spike-covered platform that we talked about <laughs> just a minute ago and throws it on the on the guards and their horses. I'm thinking, I don't know, the horses didn't do anything wrong. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, he seems to do things that are, you know, within, you know, it, it's not quite as over the top as in Hercules in the Haunted World when Reg Park picks up a, that huge hay wagon and throws it. <laughs> but, yeah, so he gets arrows shot at him. He's able to deflect the arrows. He has... The, the boy Jiro is, uh, helping out by beating some of the, some of the, uh, guards over the head after he's tossed, uh, uh, some sort of blanket or tarpaulin over them. There's a very nice scene that other friends of mine have mentioned. They remember the scene very well in which, uh, Goliath rescues some of the people from his village from the slave auctions. But right before he does that, uh, Oscar shows up and she offers the guy who's selling the women on the square she offers him one coin, one, yeah. So the other group, I'll give you 105 for, you know, and it's like, you better take it because you know who my patron is. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like that. Yeah, it's, it's very enjoyable. Uh, like you said, not just muscle flexing and things. There's lots of that, lots of incredible action going on. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, there, there's a lot happening here. I think uh, of the four films, and I think I said this already, didn't I? That that Gordon Scott is my guy this month. I mean, as an actor, yeah, he's selling it. And you know, as a villainess, she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Gianna Maria Canelli, Canal Canelli. However, I mean, she's great. Yeah, you know, the lady loved Leonora Rufo. She's okay, whatever. But she's kind of vanilla compared to Astra. And and what I've read, that's what a lot of people think. And unfortunately, they just probably didn't give her a whole lot to do. Sure. The you know, in this case, the villainess is a lot more interesting mm-hmm. than the, you know, than the uh, uh, Goliath's fiance. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. But we're gonna get a bunch yep. of we're gonna get a bunch of scenes here with the Sultan and and how the government works here and and how he really is an impotent ruler. He doesn't have the power that somebody called Sultan should. And in the way he's kind of interacting with his people on the court, I kind of felt bad for the guy. Oh yeah, he's not just well. You know, these are the things that I have to put up with. You know, to to have all this wonderful court life and all these dancing girls and this live in this beautiful palace. He's very morally conflicted about mm-hmm. it. And in fact, his vizier says to him, you know, your father wouldn't have put up with this sort of stuff. You know, says, you know, there's this guy I heard about, Goliath, who is, uh, you know, maybe the time has come for us to rise up against Kobrak. And he's very, mm, no, I don't want to <laughs> destroy myself or my people. But, you know, he does have a conscience. Yes. You know, he's, he's, he's exactly as you said, he's... Weak, but you know he has reason to be afraid. Mm-hmm. But it's not like that he doesn't have any soul at all. He really does react to his people's plight. Of course, Astra overhears <laughs> the conversation, and 
Yeah, that's no good. <laughs> that's not going to end well for the Sultan. You know, you know something's you know it's going to get back to Kobrek. This is happening. Yep. <laughs> Oh, and she looks so, so good. I'm sorry. I'm smitten with her right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's those eyes, man. Yeah, yeah. And doesn't she, she yeah. kill the vizier? Doesn't she kill the the yeah? The she, advisor? she dumps him down one of those secret traps in the floor. That you know, she pushes mm-hmm. the little button, kind of like you see in. Uh, doesn't uh, it, oh, I think Christopher Lee has a little button in his secret man cave to stab yeah. you with uh, spears when she, once you mm-hmm. get it close to his treasure hoard. She has something like that, only this one. This one may be a little humane. that It just drops the floor out from under you. Right. But we are going to get to a scene where she goes and, and talks to Kobrek, and he comes out of this uh, brazier, and it's again, he's kind of see-through, kind of transparent. You don't see his face. You see the spikes across the head, this, like, spike mohawk thing. It's terrifying. Yeah. This guy's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again... It's so unusual to see something like that in, you know, what you would think of as a, you know, that would at first glance you think might be a stereotypical Italian muscle man movie. No, there's so much more going for this film. So much more. You know, I know we're spoiling big chunks of it here and there. And at the beginning of this, Alan asked me, are we going to spoil something? Yes, spoil, spoils. I don't know if we should talk too much more about specifics because I'm wondering if people haven't seen this. People are going to enjoy this film. I think there's a real good chance people have not seen this movie. Yeah. You know, know, I I think that, you know, if we make it interesting, you know, they will want to, because like I said, I'm not quite sure uh, what version you're looking at. And I mentioned where I got mine, but I think it's also on YouTube. I think you can also see it on YouTube. So it's accessible, but I don't think most uh, people know, you know, and, and in, in a way it's kind of sad because and and I love mystery science theater, but I think that's the way most people have had an opportunity to see a lot of these peplum films was through that. And mm-hmm. back about 15 years ago, TNT used to show them quite a bit. But apart from that, I don't know. And and this one, like I said, since in most cases it got packaged in with horror films, maybe it has it just hasn't been available to people. You know, I'm checking right now and it looks like the only version, at least here in the States, I haven't gone online to look at like the UK or Italy, but here in the States, Wild East put it out back in 2007. It's still available on DVD in that double feature package that Alan was talking about with Goliath and the Vampires, which I'm sorry, Goliath and the Barbarians, which I haven't seen. Uh, It's a Steve Reeves Hercules film or Goliath film. Uh, it looks like that's the only way you can see it on disc here. You know, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if I want to talk too much more about the specifics of the story because I want people to check it out. But that, that's fair. There, there is a buddy cop kind of element that happens here when Goliath meets another character and, and they end up working together. Yep. They have slightly different motives and their initial meeting could have gone sour, could have gone south. But we have that. And I really don't want to spoil this, so I'm not going to say exactly what it was. But earlier I said there's something that happens at the end with Gordon Scott that really sold me on Gordon Scott, the actor, mm-hmm. versus just Gordon Scott, the muscle man. And it's the final confrontation between him and Kobrek. And I, I don't, like I said, I don't want to say it is, what it is, but there's a look in Gordon Scott's eyes that happens that it's just, man, he just went from <laughs> from one end of the spectrum to the other, and I love it. And I think you know what I'm talking about without me having to say it, right? Yes, I do. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it. We're going to leave that just hanging as a tease because listeners see this. And, and again, I won't, I won't spoil it, but uh, 
some other elements in here that you and this is this is just the beginning you know of this a lot of the horror elements get even deeper and darker as you go into the film because you've got Mm -hmm. you get to see what Colbrack soldiers look like under those hoods basically Derek do you think it's fair to say that they're not so much um, vampires as they are zombies they are more zombified you know we mentioned this at the beginning or earlier it's called Goliath and the Vampires but it's not it's not Dracula. It's not a Christopher Lee, Bela Lugosi-style vampire. There, I could see some undead elements here. And yeah, I'd say they're probably more zombie-like. Uh, probably not as far as, say, like War of the Zombies or whatever other dozen titles that movie has. But yeah, they're very zombie-like and effective and creepy and just as scary with their helmets off as with on. And one thing, and even listen, you can hear it in the trailer they make this scare. They don't move very fast. They, you know, it seems like I don't know. Maybe Cobra's got different divisions. He sends in. You know, he's got the ones that attack the, the villages because those seem to move real fast. But then mm-hmm. he has his other soldiers, and they move very slowly. That's not an obstacle. So there's so many of them, and they can hit you with these huge clubs that they have. Um, mm-hmm. And. Again, I won't go into it, but there is a scene which, uh, if anybody has seen Boris Karloff's uh, The Mask of Fu Manchu, there's a way that Fu Manchu tortures people that Kobrak uses against Goliath. Huh, so, okay. So, yeah, so you'll yeah. To try and turn him, in, kind of convert him into a little bit of a zombie somewhat. You've got that, you have... Kobrek has the ability to command flames to shoot up out of the ground. There's a, there's a scene in which Goliath and his allies attack Kobrek in his mountain stronghold, and they go through this swamp, which is kind of like, it's somewhat similar to something like the Fellowship of the Ring going to attack Sauron in, in uh, Mordor. I can't help but wonder if this movie may, without really knowing, really kind of influenced some of... I guess you would even call modern fantasy film. Because like I said, there's the Conan thing at the beginning. And then, like you said here, the this, the sequence that feels like it would fit right at home in a low-budget Lord of the Rings film. Mm-hmm. I can't help but wonder if something like this, filmmakers saw this growing up on a Saturday afternoon as a kid, that just kind of spilled over into into modern film. I, I, don't know. I hope so. Maybe, I, maybe that's a reach. Well, yeah. I, I don't know if that's such a reach because if you, you know, you've seen... Have you seen the American poster for this thing? It's it's an incredible poster of like mm-hmm. something that doesn't really happen in the film is uh, uh, it shows this enormous vampire bat that uh, uh, Goliath is fighting. Now, Kobrak never assumes that form or anything, but no. it's a sure a stunning poster. So, and you see, it's it's a darn good trailer too. And as a matter of fact, I bought the British poster for this film. It's one of the one of the first posters i ever bought and that really set the hook with me to to start buying these things because the british american poster is wonderful the british poster also has Kobrak unmasked it has ostra showing up it has the green hand holding you know uh grabbing the chalice of blood so hopefully maybe a lot of people did see this film and like i said folks like me that uh saw it when they were younger said oh guy got a got an arrow in the eye right it's kind of hard to <laughs> kind of hard to forget something like that 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's there are images in this that I'm going to think about and remember for a while. On top of that, the editing and the way the images are kind of layered on top of each other. There's a sequence about half a, uh, about half uh, half an hour in and we're going to see Cobra kill somebody. Okay? And it it cuts from him cutting a woman's throat basically with his hands. And then immediately smash cuts to a belly dance sequence. And yep. you, you you go from brutality to sexiness. It's boom, boom. And just the pacing and the way this movie kind of hits you. And even in something like the editing, it's pretty impressive for what it is for 1961. And, and that scene with the belly dancing, the music is almost a rock and roll number. Almost. Yes. You could, yeah. You could play it on ancient, you know, tambourines and, and oboes and things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, and that scene, I don't know if you noticed it, you'd have to notice it really close, but I think has one of the very few attempts at solid humor in this. The belly dancer is, you know, going around the room and doing her exotic, you know, sexy movements. And there's this old guy eating a plate of stew or something. <laughs> and he's like, he doesn't even look up. And she's like flaunting him herself at him. He's like, yeah, I'm busy eating my stew. And then when Goliath and his buddies show up and they start ripping apart the room in their fight to get away from the Sultan's soldiers, this guy is still eating his stew. And he, he they knock the table out from under him. He picks up his bowl and is still eating his stew while he's watching the... <laughs> Watching, you know, this massive battle between soldiers. Priorities, man. It must That's be really right. Good exactly. <laughs> so I did enjoy that. And and and, and there one other thing. I know we're running along. One other thing. I've also learned something from from this film that people should know by now is you do not say the bad guy's name out loud because <laughs> when you speak of the devil, he will appear. Like I don't I don't care if you're talking about Kobrak. If you're talking about Lord Voldemort, or if you're talking about Hastur the Unspeakable, and by the way, I'm sorry about that. As as they said in uh, the uh, Night Gallery episode, even sorry, you know, uh, you know, guess my wife will need to set the places for three tentacled monsters from beyond the stars now. But that's on me, not you. I'm the one who said it. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Of course, I'm going to end up hearing you say that over and over again as I edit this episode. So I don't know yeah. if, if I'm going to be okay, but you know, okay, fine. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just, just, it wasn't me. <laughs> no, um, you're right, though. Every time somebody starts talking about Cobra, you know, um, as an audience member, you're like, don't, don't, no, don't <laughs> say. <laughs> you know what happened the last time somebody brought him up? Come on. Yep. That's a pretty cool parchment that he gets invoked from at one point, though. Very, uh, yeah, very sort of Middle Eastern Necronomicon-y sort of looking thing. There are some, I don't know if I'd say full-on Lovecraftian elements, but there are some good spooky, spooky things happening here. That again, I love. I love mixing my horror with other things, and like I haven't thrown dice in years. But when I was a Dungeons and Dragons player, this is the kind of game that I'd want to play. You know. Yep. Even the sound effects, and you hear it again in the trailer, the sound effects of Kobrak's zombie soldiers moving around is just a sort of clanking sound that yeah. kind of like 
sounds like chains being dragged or something and that and it's just this eerie percussion which i guess is supposed to come from their armor and things it, it's very creepy as and did you like the music now i understand that les baxter they may have substituted some of his music mm-hmm. or the original um oh shoot what is that uh, there's uh, angelo the original- francesco lavigno yeah so I have listened to the score by Angelo Francesco, by him. Um, (laughs) It's actually, if you can figure out how to make Amazon Italian work on your computer, you can stream it there. I don't know if you can stream it from Amazon.com, but I mean, it's out there. But I love Lex Baxter. I love Les Baxter. I'm such a fan of his work. And so to have a little bit of him thrown in the mix, I'm on board. The, the music that they play when the dancing girls come out in the Sultan's Palace, that to me is some of the most beautiful music I have ever mm-hmm. heard. It's yes. like pure exotica from Les Baxter and those sorts of things. And I wonder if that might come from, he put out an album called Barbarian. I wonder if that might be some of the music from that. I don't know. And again, like you said, I, I don't know what is Baxter's and what is the Italian composer's. I've read some places where the screechy sort of violins that you hear when Kovrak mm-hmm. shows up, that's the Italian composers, Lavinos. Huh. Well, I'm going to have to go back and listen to uh, some more Les Baxter. Darn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I, I again, know we're, we, we've gone way over time, but one other thing I did want to mention in the film, we talked about how people pop up from different films and stuff. The person who plays the black ship's captain, Amal, is named Vinoy Akins, who I, I think I'd seen on IMDb. He was born in Georgia. He was a star dancer with Catherine Dunham's dance troupe in the United States. And Derek, you've seen a movie that he has also been in. Can you possibly guess what it was? Uh, um, and this is oh boy. No. He was in I Eat Your Skin. That's him. Wow, okay. If if I am to be, he is the sort of, uh, you know, like the main voodoo dancer who wore a headdress through it, and at the very end of I Eat Your Skin, I think, gets shot with the flare gun. I think that's the guy. And that's one that I haven't talked about here on the show, but I keep wanting to because I, I kind of dig it. I know I don't really do like the modern zombie stuff anymore, but, I mean, still Tenny, so... Yes, yes. Huh. Yeah, it, huh. I, I was astounded to find that out. How did he wind up over there? And I think he said he might have had a small role in Cleopatra uh, and was doing things. So so maybe that's where, it, you know, maybe that was where it came from. Wow, I have no idea. From over there and then back. Huh. Fascinating. The downside to doing a show like this and exploring movies like this Unfortunately, so many of the people involved are no longer with us, so it's not like we can, you know, try to get an interview or right. something. But yeah, right. And huh. uh, and one other, you know, one other person that I wanted to mention, and uh, this person deserves so much commendation for monster kids like myself who grew up in the late '60s and early '70s. The producer for American Dubbing on this thing was a fellow named Salvatore Bilateri. And I think he had ties to a, a company called Kitra Sound Studios. And this guy, again, Tim Lucas and August Ragone could tell you tons about this fellow. 
But this guy worked on the most incredible assortment of movies, everything from, I'm looking again through his IMDb list, he worked on The Amityville Horror, he worked on Abbey, he worked on Foxy Brown, Sugar Hill, he worked on Frogs, he worked on Cry of the Banshee, Gamera Gamera versus Virus, he worked on uh, Yogg Monster from Space, he was the... He worked on Destroy All Monsters uh, in various roles, uh, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, and he was the producer of the TV series Johnny Sacco and, the Fly- and His Flying Robot. Wow. So we owe an incredible debt to you know Salvatore Bilateri, because I have, and I hate to say it, whenever I get something like from Shout Factory or Media Blasters, if I get a different dialogue version of a lot of these Japanese uh, or, or Italian films, I'm thinking, no, that's not quite right, because it's not the dialogue track that I grew up with. I think he was involved with even, yeah, Black Sabbath. Wow. That's that's amazing, because I mean, we're, we're hitting, I mean, stuff here in the States, we're hitting stuff in Italy and Japan. That's, I yeah, it's one of these unsung heroes. And for instance, the, I think now. Do you remember last last episode? You played the trailer for the horrible Doctor Hitchcock. Yeah. Whoever did the voice on that trailer, you can hear him that very distinctive voice on other things. You know, so he shows up in the trailer for I think the Embalmer. He shows up and does a lot of the narration in the Japanese American the American versions of the Starman films. So a lot of these people who did these voiceover dubs, you know, we owe, you know, an incredible debt to, to our, again, monster kiddom for, you know, rate, bringing us upright and uh, <laughs> furnishing us with fine entertainment. There you go. Yeah. Here in the States, man, it, it, we have our Dracula's, our Frankenstein's, our Wolfman. We have the universals. We have all this stuff. We have AIP, but without, some of these people bringing these other movies over and doing the voices and doing that work for us, man, how, how less rich would our monster kid legacy be without movies like this? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think how lucky we were that we have that. I, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if we even have that kind of luck here now. You know, I mean, there are hundreds of Chinese and Italian and, uh, movies from other countries right now, horror films that came out in the 70s and 80s, who knows if we'll ever have a chance to see them because, you know, we just, their foreign language versions would only be marketed to a small subset of the of the audiences over here. And I don't think people, you know, go through the effort of doing dubbing. And I know a lot of people don't like dubbing. It, it did make this product available to us mm-hmm. at an impressionable age. And sometimes that's the only way you can get them. Yep. You know, you know, and we, we've talked about this. Uh, I think we talked about it with Ron Dominique, and I think I brought it up with Chris, too. A lot of times these movies, there was no live sound shot or, or recorded while these things were being recorded anyway. So there's no such thing as a quote unquote original language track. Right. When they were put out, they were dubbed for whatever market. And that was that. And that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. So you take what you can get, man. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes you even wound up with those with those Sandy Frank versions of the Gamera films, mm-hmm. which were the original mm-hmm. international versions that uh, I think the Japanese put together before 
AIP put in a better dialogue track. Which, and the Sandy Frank stuff is what turned up on MST3K, which gave it an even bigger audience or a different audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I know that you'll probably have to cut some of this, but I did want to mention, if you were thinking of other monster-related Italian uh, sort of Hercules Machiste films to consider. Uh-huh. You know, some of the ones that you and, and other folks might want to take a look at, of course, and some of these got, got a pretty big release over here were like Hercules and the Captive Women has a shape-shifting monster which goes from being an upright walking lizard man to uh, I think a falcon to fire Loves of Hercules with uh, um, Jane Mansfield and Mickey Hargaday has uh, a hydra in it and I think people whose souls have been turned into trees, War of the Zombies, oh, wow. or has zombie Roman soldiers, if you like, you know, showing up in that. And it has an incredible performance by Drew Barrymore's father, uh, John Drew Barrymore, as the wizard Agarball. He's really cool in it. Yeah, that's a great film. In fact, that was actually, if you hadn't talked about how much you liked this one, that was the one I was going to ask you to do on the show with me this time around. And, and you know, you can get that, but it's under the title Rome Against Rome, or Rome versus Rome. This, I have the soundtrack for it, actually. They put out a CD, and I have it. It's under Rome Against Rome. I should have known. That, but it's, <laughs> it's great. No, that one's a lot of fun, too. So does, good. Does the soundtrack have just as this is just for my edification? Does the soundtrack have that ghostly wailing? I oh, you know I haven't listened to it in a while. In in the movie when Otterball summons the dead Roman legions, these troops show up and they're like covered in a blue mist and they make this sort of wailing noise like ah! <laughs> and I wondered if that was on the soundtrack because that was very eerie. I don't remember. I haven't listened to it in a little while. Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll have to load it up on the uh, on the iPod and, and check it out. That's Roberto Nicolosi did the score on that. Okay. And, and now, he, did he, did, he also do like Black Sunday and stuff? Yes. Uh, Black Sunday and Black Sabbath. Okay. Okay. All right. So, and, and Evil Eye from 1963 okay. as well. Okay. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you also had like Vulcan, Son of Jupiter, where they're fighting lizard guys, uh, fire monsters versus the Sons of Hercules, and... Uh, Dominique and um, Rod brought up Goliath and the Dragon, which has Broderick Crawford. The American star Broderick Crawford is in that. So, yeah, all great things, all things to try out. Oh, definitely. And there's that Richard Harrison film that I love with the Medusa in it, yes. which has a thousand different titles. Uh, the Sons of Hercules versus Medusa, uh, Perseus, something in Italian. Um <laughs> That Sven Gulli just showed a couple weeks back on MeTV. So. And I, I posted this on the Monster Kit Radio website, but there was one person that I I always yeah, do ask people if I know them kind of well, hey, what was your favorite monster movie growing up? And one person said that the Medusas in that thing were the most terrifying monsters they'd ever seen. So that It's creepy. It is, yeah. It's creepy. It's very unique. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was just blown away. And... If you didn't get a chance to see it on Sven there is a French DVD version of it out there that is a much nicer transfer than the <laughs> looks like somebody sat it in a bathtub for a while print that's out there right now. So, yeah, it's available to find out there, and it's a nice transfer, and it looks good. Um, the only downside is that the French version does not have the cool American opening credit song. It's, it's all in French. Oh, so. <laughs> the Sons of Hercules? Yeah, yeah, you don't get the song, but... You know, it's a trade-off. You, you you lose the song, but you get better-looking Medusa. 
you know, a thousand warriors, brave and bold, they they did rule the earth in days of old, you know. <laughs> don't keep singing it because I'm not paying for the rights to run it on the show. So don't, <laughs> no. we'll just cut you off right there, buddy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that was my poor rendition of it. They wouldn't charge you for that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> this was such a fun film. And of the four, and, and I'm sorry, Chris, and I'm sorry, Rod and Dominique, this one was my favorite. So I feel like I'm going out on top. I mean, it doesn't have Christopher Lee, but you know what? It's still, it's my favorite of the month so far. Well, I guess it's the end of the month. So it's my favorite of the month, period. I think this one is the most action-packed, uh, relentless, um, maybe higher budget than some of them. And uh, uh, boy, I hate to put it this way, but I guess I've got to put it this way. The other movies have, I think, much more a sense of humor to them and, and, and that is very important. And if you're looking for that, that's great. This one is a lot more serious. And I, boy, I, again, I hate to say it. This one has one of the highest body counts of any. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I think that speaks to my sensibility as well as, as uh, <laughs> you know, as somebody who, <laughs> who watches and enjoys and writes this stuff. I, I like myself a little darker, apparently. Uh, I still do. And, uh, you know, this one's dark where it needs to be but it still has some nice dark humor as well to offset it it's it's a great film it does have a tyrant overthrown at the end um a love restored so it does have very positive redeeming things about it as well indeed alan thank you for doing this man thanks for coming on to the show thanks for all of your support of monster kid radio over the years it's meant a lot to have you on board and let's not wait till next september to have you back on Okay, because I definitely want to have you back on for War of the Zombies next September. But let's not wait a year. Let's not wait a year. Sounds wonderful. Maybe we can get it. You know what? Um, I'm going to Cinema Wasteland in a few in, a, in next week. Okay. And uh, if we do get a chance to talk about eventually about, for instance, the Astro Zombies, we keep talking about it. We need to do it. Yeah. Well, Derek, always a great time. Always have a wonderful time doing this and, and talking and interacting with the folks in the Monster Kid Radio community. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you, man. You know, if it wasn't for the listeners and, and the participants, man, it would be not nearly as fun. So thank you, sir. Appreciate it. How much fun was this month? How much fun was it to talk about these types of movies? You know, when I first started Monster Kid Radio, I had a pretty narrow point of view. It was, you know, going to be the Universal Monsters, some of the Hammer films. You know, I was very specifically looking at quote-unquote horror movies or monster movies from a particular era and time. Now, I'm glad that the show has grown over the years. And while these films that we talked about this month are still technically in what I consider the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse, basically genre cinema up through 1968, it's not something that I ever imagined I'd talk about here on the show. Like I said from the beginning, these are movies that I really didn't know a heck of a lot about. These are movies that I wasn't exposed to growing up, and it's not something I really sought out until after we decided we were going to do it this month. <laughs> I say we. I decided I was going to cover these types of movies this month on the show. It was a real treat. It was a blast. I love chatting with Chris McMillan. I love chatting with Dominique Lamsey's And Rod Barnett, man, it's been way too long. Same with Alan Trump. We're going to have Alan back on the show to talk about the Astro Zombies at some point. I'm going to have Rod Barnett back on the show 
hopefully sooner rather than later, to talk about some more Antonio Margheriti science fiction films. And as for Chris and Dominique, well, they're both going to be guests at this year's H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu Con. So, yeah, you're going to hear from them very, very soon. Thanks again for being part of the show, Alan. It was a blast. You are even more lovely than you were in the other life. An underground hell somewhere beneath beautiful ancient Venice, which many come to see and admire. Among them, this group of young travelers, some of whom will remain never to be seen again, except by the embalmer. Monster of the Deep, with a blood-chilling pattern for murder. Submerging with his victims into the fathomless canals which interlace the city. Give me that tray. <laughs> One of them hides the grisly secret of a madman. The secret that is finally exposed in a flood of action, terror and suspense that spell the embalmer. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters Podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. A rocket ship to unexplored planets, captured by unknown powers. Yogg, monster from space. An irresistible, terrorizing monster. We have merged ourselves into the giant crab of the jungle turtle. Monsters never before seen. The unconquerable. The unbelievable. Yog. Monster from space. Yog, monster from space. You are powerless against me. Monsters never.
never before seen. Yogg, Monster from Space, rated G. Hey, we got a voicemail. Hey Derek, it's Jeff Owens. Long time no talk. Monster Bash seems like forever ago. I wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed the episode on Hercules in the Haunted World with Rod Barnett and Dominique Glamsey's. There was some really good chemistry among the three of you, and I had a great time listening to it. If I may be allowed to plug, I will continue. If not, please edit my message here. But I want to share for those of you who read as well as listen, I'm participating in the Countdown to Halloween again on my blog, ClassicHorrors.club, all through the month of October. This year, I'm taking a trip around the world and will be writing every day about movies from other countries. Check it out, as well as countdowntohalloween.blogspot.com for a list of other blogs who are participating in the annual event. Rich Chamberlain and I are headed to Minneapolis in a couple weeks for the world premiere of Christopher R. Mim's new movie, The Demon with the Atomic Brain, and we'll have the next episode of the Classic Horrors Club podcast on the air soon after that. Thanks again, Derek. It sounds so trite to say it, but keep up the good work. I really mean it. I hope you and all the Monster Kid Radio listeners are well and have a horrific Halloween season. Bye-bye. And so that's Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club website, classichorrors.wordpress.com. You know there's a link in the show notes to all this, right? Well, Jeff Owens is a man over there, and he's one of the co-hosts of the Classic Horrors Club podcast. And you know, he didn't talk too much about this, so I'm going to. The most recent episode they did, it came out at the beginning of September, episode 10, all about, <laughs> and my cat is super excited. That's my cat Wednesday. And she was also thrilled. <laughs> She's up on my lap now. She's very, very excited about their 10th episode. It was all about the original Dark Shadows. Somehow, they managed to talk about the entire run of the series in less than two and a half hours. It was impressive. I have been going through the Dark Shadows series myself, and, you know, it is just flat-out cool. But you guys and gals knew that already, didn't you? Anyway, big shout-out to them for doing that. The Classic Horrors Club podcast is part of the Downright Creepy Network. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that, but you can find it at downrightcreepy.com. Jeff, I'm glad you've enjoyed Sword and Sandals and Monster Month. I hope you're excited, as excited as I am, to know that it's coming back next year. It's just awesome. And Dominique and Rod, you're right. They had really good chemistry. I love just kind of sitting back and letting those two chat about Giallo movies or Mario Bava. That was just fun. And I'm going to get to see Dominique in person here in a couple of weeks. I guess it's about a week and a half now at the Lovecraft Film Festival. And yeah, I'll pass this on to her if she's not listening already herself and let her know how much she appreciated that. And Rod's out there listening. So he's getting the message too. I'm really excited about your Countdown to Halloween participation. Countdowntohalloween.blogspot.com. This is really cool. It sounds like Jeff is going to be a Crypt Keeper this year. Crypt Keeper is what they call people who participate in this. Basically, they're blogging every day of the month of October, counting down to Halloween. Years ago, I participated in this, not as a blogger, but as I actually did a podcast. And it was fun. Uh, I missed <laughs> the way I said that. I missed a couple of days here and there along the way, but it was a lot of fun to do. It was back during my mail order zombie days many, many moons ago. Uh, I, there's no way I could do a, a daily podcast like that again with all my other real world and, and day job responsibilities. 
But best of luck to you, man, doing the blog, doing the countdown yourself. I'm excited to see what comes out of that. I'm excited for your trip around the world. I love the passport graphic that you've been splashing all over Facebook, promoting the trip around the world, the international horror films that you're going to be doing. That's a lot of fun. Jeff, I wish we didn't live so far away from each other. Monster Bash was amazing. It was great to hang out with you and Rich. I wish there was a way for us all to be closer. I'm going to be there in spirit at the premiere of Christopher R. Mims' new movie, Demon with the Atomic Brain. I'm going to play the trailer for that here shortly. In fact, when you hear it, stay tuned, because right after that, we're going to go right into the conversation that I'm going to have with Mr. Mim. Jeff, thank you for calling in. Beware the Astro Zombies. They mutilate, they torture, they kill. Spine-tingling horror, unspeakable shock, and breathless excitement will grip you as you watch living organs ripped from the bodies of voluptuous females as beating hearts and throbbing brains are transplanted to create the Astro Zombies. Cringe in terror, scream in fright as these skull-faced monsters strike blindly at living flesh and the motion picture screen flows in the blood-drenched wake of the Astro Zombies. The beautiful, voluptuous, deadly, vicious Satana, a woman who would Stop at nothing to gain control over the Astro Zombies, whose creed was kill, kill, kill. John Carradine as the deranged scientist, Wendell Corey as the doctor who opposes him, match wits in this bloody, sadistic, terror-filled, suspense-laden horror film of brutal mutilations and senseless killings as the Astro Zombies go berserk and threaten a city with death. Watch it and you die a thousand deaths. The Astro Zombies in color, coming soon to your local theater. The Supermates couldn't stop it. Amazing. It's incredible. The Fire and Water Network couldn't contain it. We didn't come here to fight with monsters. We're not equipped for it. The House of Frankenstein returns in 4D. They meet at the castle and hold debauched gatherings. Four blood-curdling episodes. Four classic horror films. Four supernatural adventures with your favorite superheroes. Four chances to lose your mind with sheer terror. Starring Lon Chaney Jr. When the full moon rises... I turn into a werewolf with only one desire in my mind, to kill. John Carradine. I am Count Dracula, but I'm known to the outside world as Baron Latos. You see, before you a man who has lived for centuries, kept alive by the blood of innocent people. Julia Adams. Please, what is it you found? I don't know what you call it. It sounds incredible, but it appeared to be human. Peter Cushing. This place has been accursed to the evil of some who abide here. And at long last, Vincent Price. Nine killed you. Nine shall die and be returned your loss. Coming in September and October to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I can't wait. There isn't time. There is the time. House, House of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. 4D. My work is nearly finished. Go now. Destroy all I have created. Tonight, meet the twisted genius of Edgar Allan Poe. Experience a terrifying tale of druid witchcraft and the scream that kills. Cry of the Banshee. American International presents new heights in horror never before filmed. Vincent Price stars in this new adventure in Terror and Torture. Don't miss Cry of the Banshee. You'll learn to fear it. Rated GP.
four very short hours before planet Earth is sliced and diced into a smorgasbord of horrors. You're the last hope any of us has to survive. Listeners, I'm, I'm going to save you some time. For the past 45 minutes, Chris and I have just been kind of talking and talking about movies and cats and life and being creative in this monster kid thing that we do. We figured, you know what? We really did get together to record. We, we should record something for the show and talk about his upcoming movie and a few other things, I'm sure. Christopher R. Mim, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, are we all talked out at this point? I mean, <laughs> pretty much. I think we're just done. I mean, okay. I just say I made a movie. It's called Dean with the Atomic Brain. See it. Thanks. Yeah, it's coming coming soon. Thanks for being back on the show, Chris. <laughs> all right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> nah, Demon with the Atomic Brain. It is coming out very soon. You're at least done with production. Are you done with post production at this point? Oh yeah, everything's it's set and ready to go. I'm down to the point of just making sure I got the premiere program together. That's all I'm at. You know, I got all my printed stuff back. I got my posters and my tickets and all that. The only thing I'm waiting for right now is the uh, manufacturer to finish my uh, DVDs of it. And those should be in this week. So, I mean, it's done. It's I'm already thinking about, you know, stuff coming up. What do I do next? I'm at that point. The movie's coming out and then it's promotion. And then it's what's next. The MIM movie making machine never ends. It really doesn't. <laughs> We were talking before all this, you've been going for 12 years. This is number 12, right? It's either 12 or I've, I've either made 12 movies or 14, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> I've made 12 features uh, okay. that are technically in the Mimiverse, you know, shared universe, uh, starting with the Monster Fan like up through Demon with the Atomic Brain. Now, one of those is the late night double feature, which was from 2014. And that consists of two different little, you know, 40, 45 minute films. Some right. people say those are separate, right? So that's how you get 13 films. Uh, but then also there's the monster Phantom like the musical, which we did the stage musical and I filmed it and put it out. So that kind of counts too. So you can say 12 or you can say 14, but I always look at it as uh, late night double features, technically one film with two stories. So to me, I guess it's one. Uh, and the monster Phantom Lake is really a performance DVD of a play. So it's, I don't know. So we have 12 movies, 13 stories right? that are all in the Mimiverse proper. We have the Phantom, of, uh, excuse me, the Phantom of Monster Lake. Yeah, that's right. No, Monster Phantom. You're not the first person to say it. It's okay. <laughs> Coffee. Coffee, dude. Fan- so you've got the musical. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. You've got the musical, which is, I suppose you could call maybe like expanded universe stuff, right? Right, right. Right. Which you could then probably put in Steve's book as well as part of the expanded universe and the ongoing serial of Beef McCormick. Right. For your ice only, right? That's right, which is amazing. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Don't let me forget. I want to mention that uh, before I let you go today. But th- there is a solid core. And then slowly we're starting to see more stuff with the Memiverse. And I mean, how long before you take over the world, man? Come on. 
Well, you know, so far, 12 years, I, I've, I've gotten maybe a step forward toward that, uh, but I'm working toward it. I, I don't know how many steps it takes to get to world domination, but uh, I feel like that's the ultimate path I'm on. I mean, you've got a key to a city. A city. I was disappointed to learn that when you get the key to a city, it doesn't open every lock in that city. I figured. You tried. I, You know, it's just, it's, it's really, I mean, I've kind of. I more or less assumed based on the fact that it's actually a cardboard key. I mean, it's just like a poster they gave me with a key on it. I figured it just logistically doesn't make sense to try and stick it into a lock, but I don't know. I just, I asked the mayor, he was, he just sort of looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> what, what city was this again? Uh, it was Forest Lake, Minnesota. A couple of years back, right? Uh, yeah, it was a 2015. Uh, there's a thing up in this, in this town, uh, which is, just north of where I live that has a theater that's been running in that, that town for a long time. Uh, and every half the year, once a week, they do a, a free screening series and they show, you know, cool monster kid approved films. Right. And the guy who runs it caught wind of the Mimiverse several years ago, um, around the time we released attack of the moon zombies in 2011 and asked if he could show it. And, you know, I'm never going to say no, which any listener out there, if you have a connection to a theater and wants to show my movies, you can, and I won't charge you for it. Let's do this. Or if you know some, uh, some like a screening series like this that does these, even the free things, I would love to show my movies that you're saying. So I'm just putting that out there. Put it in the universe and hope that someone takes it and runs with it. They did the screening series. So year after year, they would show whatever new movie I had that year in fact they're showing demon with the atomic brain uh, a month or two after uh, we do the premiere and the guy who runs it is this great guy named chris costello uh, and he has like so many people that you talk to and ex- an encyclopedic knowledge of of these great old films and he was inspired uh he saw i think it was spine tingler the story of william castle and in that they show how William Castle was given the key to a city and he recreated that to make it happen for me in 2015 uh, without telling me that this was happening. He, he contacted the mayor, the mayor, <laughs> the way he said it, he's like, he told the mayor about this. And the mayor was like, all right, sounds good. There's <laughs> just never any thought put on into it beyond like, okay, all right, whatever, let's do it. You know, I always go down there and, and present the film and, and, uh, you know, luckily that year, like everyone, uh, that was sort of important to me was there. Uh, I mean, just by happenstance that like my wife and kids and everybody was there and they, you know, gave me the, uh, the key to the city. Um, Mr. Costello was dressed as a, as a gorilla and he had, uh, you know, women dressed as, uh, the bride of Frankenstein. I mean, it was just, it was the coolest thing and it was just random. And he had gotten the idea specifically from watching that documentary about William Castle. Okay. That's awesome. I've heard about this before. You talked about it on various podcasts and online before, but that's just, that's just cool. I mean, it was, it was just very cool. (laughs) I, I, I didn't, I had no idea. I mean, that was a great, that was just one of those great nights that I had connected to my films. I put it up there with the first time I saw my first film, the monster family, like in a drive-in, you know, for the first time, uh, cause it was just, it was the perfect place to see it, you know? 
Uh, and so there's, don't you mean Phantom of Monster Lake? Yes, the the Phantom of <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the Phantom of Lake Monster. Oh, okay. We'll just keep <laughs> making it worse throughout the show. <laughs> you know, there, there are these these sort of moments that you have uh, as as I've been doing this, where they just stick out, and that definitely was was up there with one of the the cooler things. And the fact that again, it was sort of modeled after the way it happened with Lynn Castle was even better. And it was a great night. And, and, and a sidebar from that, that night that made it even almost better <laughs> is after it was over, it was late. I think the movie started at like nine o'clock. So it was going till the, the entire night didn't wrap up until I don't know, 11, 11, 30 after we showed the movie and it was Danny Johnson saves the world. And we were talking with people and selling stuff. And as we're leaving, uh, on the way home, we were all in the car and we were hungry. <laughs> so we decided to stop and just get some dollar menu from the Wendy's. And we went up there and we ordered a bunch of food. And as we got up to the pay window, they're like, it's free. What do you mean it's free? Are you serious? They're like, yeah, we kind of screwed up. We closed our registers, but then took your order because the person took your order didn't realize we closed the registers. But since we took your order and we started making it, we have it, but we literally can't take your money. So we're just giving it to you. So I got the key to the city and free Wendy's for everyone. So <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, it probably does, but still, that was that was just it was it was crazy. It was funny. See, that's what they had to tell you that they closed the register. They just knew who you were, and were like, "Okay, how do we make this that's happen?" That's right. They're like, "Oh crap! He has the key to the city. He can get in here and just steal our money if he wants that key." <laughs> So we mentioned the title a couple of times. Demon with the Atomic Brain is the newest one. It's coming out beginning of October. I, I have to ask, because when you look at your filmography, or I can never say the French word, voir, whatever, the, the collection of films that make up the Mimiverse, the most recent the, two... The Uber. Uber, okay, the Uber, yes. <laughs> I'll just pronounce it wrong. Uh, when Uber. we look at the films... They're all set in this this mold, this Mimiverse style, which is this 50s monster movie kind of thing. But the last two movies, right. I mean, on totally different sides of the spectrum. We had Danny Johnson Saves the World in 2015. Probably the most family-friendly film you've done. Probably because it's a family film. I mean, it's got all of your family in it. Right. Uh, but but it's also a fun, kind of light, I don't want to say lighthearted to kind of make it sound, I don't want to discount it by saying that, but it is a lighthearted romp. It's fun. No, and that was the point. I mean, the the, the actors are kids and, and it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's geared more towards sort of a, a kid audience mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, the kid in all of us. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> You know, it's got puppets. It's got, I mean, it, it's meant to be very lighthearted more than anything else. It, there are parts of it that are supposed to be funny. I mean, it's, it's, it's played that way. It's not, it's not bad to say it's lighthearted. That's, that was the intention. And then on top of all that, it's also said Christmas. I mean, it's, it's, you know, this, yeah, this exactly. warm film. And then the next year you go the completely opposite direction with the movie that you told everybody was dark. Where's Keto Nazi Hunter? Uh, which it is. I mean, it's the darkest that you've ever done. And it, it's it's gripping, it's gritty, it's brutal when it needs to be. It still has the 50s vibe, but there's also some throwback to some 40s stuff going on in it, I feel like. It was very much an attempt at a bit of a, a noir, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you go from family-friendly to super dark. Where does Demon with the Atomic Brain fit in this spectrum? Probably right in the middle between the two. I did Danny Johnson Saves the World again, and that was like, okay, well, I want to make a movie that sort of is meant in essence to be a kid's movie but it's not just a kid's movie i I 
there's a weird, you know, people hear family movie or family friendly and they think, oh, it's just a dumb kids movie. I mean, it's, it's for everybody, but it's definitely geared toward kids to be lighthearted. And so I often try not to do the same thing one right after the next. I try to mix it up to keep it interesting, even just to myself of like, okay, well, I did this. What's the opposite of that? And so the, the pendulum kind of swings the other way. I do think that when you do Danny Johnson, which has the, the pendulum swing very far one direction, uh, the sort of gross overcorrection you get is where Skeeto Nazi Hunter, right? <laughs> where it's dark, as you've uh, <laughs> mentioned, and I mentioned, and you even gave me crap about that monster bat. Uh, <laughs> hey, nothing but love, man. I thought it was really funny because I was, you know, it's like I pushed the heck out of that, and I still do. Uh, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's the pendulum sort of swings the other way, and, and, and I wanted to do something just that was not Danny Johnson saves the world. And so you end up with Where's Keto Nazi Under. And again, that was, I wanted to bring up some, some noir elements, but also just mix it up using, you know, Nazis as the bad guy. You kind of, I've said this before in other places, but it's like you either go one of two ways. You either make them completely cartoonish or you make them as horrific as they were. Uh, and I just decided I'm going to do that instead and actually deal with some of the crap that they did and how mm-hmm. people you know dealt with that. But it's still a cheesy B movie Mimiverse film. So the fact that he's a, you know, man-sized mosquito is pretty ridiculous, but I, I wanted to push that a little bit. But again, I think it was a bit of a, somewhat of a, an overcorrection uh, away from the Danny Johnson thing. With this one, it, it falls much more in the middle between those two where it's, it's not super dark. There are a couple things in there that are purposely sort of scary in a way that, you know, is era appropriate. But, uh, you know, there are a couple moments where some kids are probably going to get freaked out. But all things considered, the the overarching idea behind it was I just want to do a fun sci-fi adventure movie. It's very fast paced. And, and the idea behind it was just like, OK, let's just let's just keep going. Uh, and it's just like, you know, they're running against time and you want to play with that, uh, and just make it fun and exciting and funny. And, you know, there's lots of action, especially for my movies, which don't always have that much action because a lot of those, those movies I emulate didn't always have that much action. Uh, and this one definitely, I was, trying to throw something at people at your face, basically every couple minutes where it's like, I wanted to grab hold and sort of never let go until the final frame. And I think it, I think it works. I think I, I pulled it off. So between the two, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's probably smack dab in the middle where it's just, it's fun for everybody. There are some dark elements, but uh, certainly not where Skeeto Nazi hunter level. And it's lighthearted at times, but not, full on, you know, Christmas movie, Danny Johnson saves the world, which is a nice long answer. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I like to do with your films is is try to compare them or team them up with a a movie from the era and maybe kind of create like this imaginary double feature in my head with Danny Johnson saves the world. I might say double feature team it with the space children from 1958, right? Or with where's Hito Nazi Hunter. I might try to do a double feature with that and say uh, 1943's revenge of the zombies which is a John Carradine awesome movie. What would you pair Demon with the Atomic Brain with? Man, I've never thought of this, really. And, and here's the thing about, about Demon with the Atomic Brain, and, and even 
sort of going forward, you know, the first sort of half of my filmography, I think you can clearly point out and say, okay, this is me doing, you know, my creature from the black lagoon or something, right? Mm-hmm. My lake monster movie. You can say, okay, this is my killers from space or whatever. I feel like in the last <laughs> say three films in particular, I've, I've started to branch out into ideas that are a bit more disconnected from movies that have come before. I'm not saying they're, they're wholly personal ideas just because anything you can pick up, someone else already thought it up. Uh, I'm sure. But something like Danny Johnson saves the world where you got kids and puppets and stuff. There really wasn't a fifties film I can think of that really had some of those elements with this one in particular, the idea is a little more modern to a certain extent. So I've been having trouble trying to figure out this sort of exact question of, of, well, what does it sort of remind you of as far as, as, as those, uh, you know, the, the movies of that era. And I have yet to come up with one. <laughs> so I don't know per se. God, I don't know. That's a really difficult question for me to answer just because there are parts of it that, that are, a little more sort of modern, even in just the pacing and some of the things that happen that maybe you started having to look into more like the sixties and like the mid to late sixties to really find something that it would pair with just based solely on even just the pacing of it, of how fast and, and sort of almost more modern paced it is. And then trying, it's still classic uh, in, in what I'm doing, but I definitely tried to push it a little more toward modern audiences sort of lack of attention spans. So I'm not entirely sure. I I think what's going to have to happen is once you see it is just throwing a sidebar on a a future episode. Be like, Hey, remember back in the other episode, I figured it out. Here's the, uh, here's the double feature. (laughs) You know, that makes me even more excited about seeing the movie. And this is something that you've been talking about uh, through your various channels, whether it's your podcast, uh, the bonfire podcast, or or just online or, or whatever in that, while you still want to stay true to that aesthetic, yeah, you are evolving. And the evolution of the Mimiverse is something that's just fascinating to me to begin with. I love watching your movies, especially from start, from the early films all the way through, you know, in order of release, because you get, one, to see your growth as a storyteller, which is really cool, to see what happens when, say, like, Mitch gets involved and you see the monsters take a huge step up in, in Yo, terms of yeah. just, By you far. know, to see all these things happen. Something that I have noticed with your films, and with the past few, is that while the aesthetic is still there, there's not a straight analogy to a previous uh, established film that came out during that time. And I mean, you've been doing this for 12 years now. The 50s only lasted 10 years. So, of course, you're going to you know, see yourself. Well, technically, I'm in the 60s now, right? Uh, and well, that's, kind of, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the joke Sorta. You know, that we've been kind of making is that basically uh, I have to evolve into the early 60s now. It can't be 1957 forever, unfortunately. Well, I mean, it could, but I, <laughs> it could, but <laughs> but, but in terms well, of the kinds of stories you want to tell, I mean, it, as as a creator myself, as a storyteller, writer myself, I, you know, obviously these movies are going to have an influence on what I do and, and what you do, but you know, you're going to grow and you're going to start taking inspirations from the things. And I know you're not a guy that just sits around and watches nothing but 1950s monster movies. So these other things are going to kind of creep in as well. And there are some really good monster movies from the sixties that. Hey, why not? Let that influence yeah. come in. I saw some of that influence in Wersquito. You said noir, I said 40s. But in Wersquito Nazi Hunter, I see some 60s stuff happening in that too. I mean, that was one of the first times I, I threw in even just elements of color uh, in that mm-hmm. 
whenever someone sees blood, it's red. But well, it's not, you it's did not, do a color opening credit in Giant Spider, so right. But that's that's just a nod to them, right? But actually, adding an element of color into into a film mm-hmm. uh, was uh, you know a big thing for me, just because I'd never done that before, and. I purposely did it though. So the red that you see is not red. It's, I was going more for that weird orangey reddish sort of hammer blood color, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that definitely looks more like paint than blood. So, I mean, you know, again, moving into the sixties slowly, but surely <laughs> I'm not the, the Jack Nicholson psych out stage yet where I'm just doing anti like LSD movies, but I'm sure that's coming. <laughs> When you start making biker movies, that's when I think we need to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put that down on the list of things to do in the future. <laughs> well, you know, even going back to what we were talking about earlier, the expanded universe, Beef McCormick for your ice only. Yes. That's a, a spy story. And Bond was big in the 60s. So, I mean, clearly you're starting to see some of these other influences come in. And I, as an audience member, as a consumer of the Mimiverse, I'm really excited to see what some of these other influences are coming in because I, I feel like just from the movies alone, let us hide our friendship, let us hide us talking off mic or online or whatever from the movies alone. I can tell what some of your favorite movies are. <laughs> I can tell what some of the influences are, you know, yeah, yeah. like I, I know that you like creature. I know that you like some of these other things, you know, I, and I can see that I'm excited to learn what movies and, and media from the sixties you really enjoy and, and see how they kind of creep in. Yeah. It's going to be a discovery for me and, and your fans. I'm looking forward to it. Let's hope we can keep that moving forward. Sure. And you know what really helps keeping it moving forward is if people are listening to this, go and check out my films at stEuphoria.com. They're available. <laughs> and in fact, you can Speaking order. Speaking of William Castle. You can order Demon with the Atomic <laughs> Brain right now and share it with all your friends and then encourage them to then go to stEuphoria.com and pick up their copies. I had to do it. I mean, it's... Hey, you know what? I was setting it up because I was going to do it myself. Uh, <laughs> you see, this is this is because Chris and I are friends. You know, we're on the same wavelength here. I was about to start going into promotion mode myself. I'm going to put this out before the premiere because I want people to know about the premiere. If they don't already know about it, it's coming. When is the premiere, Chris? Uh, it is October 4th uh, here in, in the Twin Cities. If you're a listener and... You weren't aware that I'm based in the Twin Cities and want to come down, come down. As of right now, we still have tickets, and I think we probably should still have some at the door, too. Uh, it's at the Heights Theater in Columbia Heights, which is just barely north of Minneapolis. Uh, it's literally just on the outskirts of Minneapolis. So, And everyone who lives here knows that Minneapolis is the center of the universe. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just people who live here. There's very much, if you live in Minneapolis, that's the center of the universe. If you live out of it, outside of it, you're kind of like Minneapolis sucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, just, it's just one of those things, you know? Yeah, we're, we're doing that. And if you can't make it even right now, you can pre-order the DVD and those will go out that day. So you'll get it very shortly thereafter. How much are the DVDs? Uh, DVDs are just 10 bucks. Hey, that's the deal. That's, that's a deal. steal. And there's other stuff you can pick up there. Other films, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Monster Family, the musical. Performance TV. We have other cool collectibles. We have uh, posters and lobby cards will be coming out for the Dean with the Atomic Brain. Oh, yes. The lobby cards are great. And in fact, the lobby card sets, uh, we have them for every movie but one now. And I'll be putting that out shortly, too. Uh, and that's House of Ghosts. That's the only one that doesn't have lobby cards. And so we've had lobby cards for all of them. We have trading cards now. The Monsters of the Mimiverse trading cards which are limited uh, in, as far as 
how many sets we made. Uh, and in fact, we're down to the last like six sets that will ever be made. So people should jump on this stuff. If you're a collector of this stuff, this is some, it's very limited number of stuff. And if this ever catches on for real, this stuff, you know, it'll put your kids through college. Really? You should buy it all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's focus on people buying it so that you can put your kids through college first and then we'll. <laughs> right. I, that, well, that doesn't play into this at all. What are you talking about, Derek? Come on. I'm doing this strictly for the love of the genre and, and my own ego. So money sure, is secondary. Sure. I don't need money to continue doing this, although it helps. <laughs> yeah, it does help. And, and that's one of the things that I find fascinating about your films, again, is that I think over the years you've tried doing Kickstarter, right? But I, I feel like you found the most success doing your own yeah. contributor program where people can kick in a few bucks during the production, pre-production, even during post-production to either ensure that you get a ticket to the premiere or a copy of the movie. Uh, you get your name mentioned in the credits as a contributor. It's something that people need to pay attention to because as new projects are coming, Chris will open that up and allow you to contribute and actually be partially responsible for whatever comes next. Right. And that's something that I've always enjoyed and respected that you've been able to make that work enough to make the movies. Yeah. And, and I'm assuming this is a program that'll continue with future projects. Yeah. I, uh, you know, early on, I think the first four or five films I paid for out of pocket, you know, the budgets of my films are not huge. We make do with very little and we've been able to do quite a bit for very little, which I'm actually quite proud of that we've been able to, to make some, some quality stuff for very little money. And a lot of this is thanks to volunteers and just contributors and, and people who are willing to help out to make this happen. We have a very talented team of people working uh, behind the scenes. You mentioned Mitch Gonzalez, who I know has been on your show before and was on with, with me before. He's a, a crazy talented guy uh, in his monster designs. Yes, you can you can definitely see once Mitch joins the Moomiverse how the monsters go from paper mache to full on really detailed latex masks, uh, and and even just the special effects because a lot of times he'll help out with special effects because he's always doing stuff where he's like, you know, what we should do, <laughs> we should try some of this, we should try some of this. Just having that that other voice to throw in ideas. But the budgets are very small, um, and so we don't necessarily require that much to make one of these films happen. Uh, and once we opened it up to contributors, you know, people have been very generous, and we have at least a handful of people who I can sort of always count on to throw in a couple bucks. And it's never, I never ask for very much. It's like 25 bucks, you know, which is not that much. Uh, and you get, like you said, you get a copy of the movie, you get a your name in the credits and you get like a, even an IMDb credit out of it. Uh, and you get a cool certificate that, you know, I signed saying you contributed and copy the movie and the whole thing. And it's allowed us and allowed me to continue to do it. I think a lot longer than I would have been able to, had I had to continue paying out of pocket. Cause you have a movie like the monster Phantom Lake, which is the first movie I did. And realistically, I don't think I've, paid all of that off until I hit movie number six, you know? Uh, so we're talking five, six years it took to actually pay off all the, the debts I had accrued making that film. And that was one of the cheaper films to make, uh, because we didn't use sets. We just shot outside. Everyone brought their own. I mean, it's just, it wasn't that expensive to make by comparison to some of the later ones, 
but having to do it strictly out of my own pocket made it just a lot more difficult. Uh, whereas now, uh, with contributions, we're more or less able to at least produce the film with what we make in, in contributions. Once I get to this point where I have to get DVDs made and I have to get, you know, stuff like poster print, that ends up coming out of my pocket and that's okay. But it's still less that I then have to personally invest uh, just to start and get a movie off the ground, thus making it easier for us to do more uh, and to do just more even in the film itself. Uh, not just more films, but more like really like, okay, we can build a cool set here. We can you know do some cool special effects or maybe Mitch can do like in this movie there, there are more than one monster that makes that possible. So I guess I should say thank you to everyone who's ever contributed. And if you ever want to contribute, go to sayeuphoria.com and just pay attention and we'll we'll announce when the next one comes up. It's it's too early to talk about what the next one is, right? You know, at this point, because I'm literally two weeks away from releasing Demon with the Atomic Brain, it's going to be kind of Demon with the Atomic Brain it's all constantly for the next uh, month. But there are there are sure. ideas. Uh, honestly, I try to stay focused on whatever I'm, I'm working on at any given time because if I let my mind wander, I'm going to have 400 ideas and, and never be able to focus on anything. So it's like, I have to focus on the one thing I'm doing now that it's over though. You know, I'm starting to think, okay, what is next? What can I, what do I want it? One of the things that I've been pushing for everything I've done up to this point is, is very much spread out over several months where like this film, for instance, we started shooting in February. We finished shooting it in June because you'd shoot one thing on a weekend and then have a couple of weeks off. And then we shoot, say two or three weekends in a row and then have a week off. Then that's been the way that we've done it from the beginning. And a lot of that just has to do with, you know, working with people around day jobs and all that stuff. One of the things I would like to do, and I would like to try because I haven't done it is to shoot a movie very quickly uh, and do it all in like two or three weeks. Very Roger Corman, just like, let's just bang this thing out. Um, and, you know, that would obviously take a certain amount of commitment from the actors and crew uh, where it's like, okay, every night this week, and it probably still have to be nights just because people have jobs, but it's like every night this week we're shooting and we're just going to, we're going to get this thing done quick and, and see what happens uh, and see how fast we can get all the footage we would need for any particular film. Uh, so then I'm just sort of spending the next X number of months editing it together. I would really like to do that. Uh, that's been sort of a, just to see how the process would change, how, how it would be different. Because the sort of the, the spread out shooting schedule could be sometimes taxing as far as just like, we're still doing this. And then just keeping people focused and even just having to take that time off and then come back and get yourself back in that mindset. I'm really curious to see what it would be like to really just have it all at once. And, and just really see if it would make any difference in it. And as far as the focus of the film, if it stays more consistent or if it's better or worse, I'm just, I'm as an experiment, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious. So that may play into what we do next. I'll just say that because I have a couple ideas that works with. So Mitch and I have been talking and he's, he's been sketching out monster ideas. already. Right on. Yeah. Go full on Roger Corman, you know, just, okay, we got a movie. We got eight days. Let's make it. Exactly. That's the idea. Cause you know, with each movie, I, I do try and pull something from that era that I want to do that idea. Just 
again, it's the Roger Corman thing. Yeah, we got eight days. Let's let's freaking make a feature. Let's do it. I'd love to do that. I'd love to try and just see if it works and see how it turns out. And be either either the most exciting thing or the most terrifying thing. Either way, I'm looking forward to it if you can pull it off. Exactly. It's either going to be amazing or it's just going to be um, <laughs> who knows what. <laughs> I just, I'm really curious to see like what happens when you just kind of cram it all together and you're stuck with what you get. You know what I mean? Right. Like, this is this is what we get. And, I do that a little bit. I usually, I, I rarely, rarely ever do reshoots of anything because I like the idea of like, well, this is what you get and make it work. Mm-hmm. And I think we've gotten lucky that it's always more or less worked. And I think that's part of just me always making sure I get, a, I get lots of coverage on things. So I do have options because I don't necessarily want to go back, but I'm curious to see what happens. It's like, well, this is all we got. We got, we got two weeks to do it. We did it. Do I have a, a coherent film in this, this, this puzzle? I have everything. Where do I start? Cause that's another thing is I edit my films as well. And a lot of the process of making these films, you know, it's like we shoot say one scene and then I have a couple weeks off. Well, I'm going to edit that scene while we have those couple weeks off to keep moving forward. It'd be interesting to see if I had the entire film, you know, the jigsaw puzzle, just all everything would I start from the beginning? Would I jump ahead? Would, you know, cause sometimes I, I got to jump around just out of necessity. What would it be like to have everything right there in front of me? I don't know. I honestly don't. Cause I've never had, had the opportunity to do that. I'd love to see it, <laughs> but I'd love to see demon with the atomic brain first. I mean, that, that's the next one. Absolutely. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I, I, I wish I could be to the premiere. I really do. One of these days, you know, years ago, I posted a list on an old blog, you know, of like the top 10 festivals that I would love to get to. And I included a premiere for a Christopher R. Mim film on that list. I'd love to get out to one at some point. Someday, I'm sure it'll happen. You just got to keep making movies until, you know, it happens. Basically, I can't stop until Derek comes to a, a premiere and then it's like, then it's over. <laughs> oh wait! Well, no, 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 no! Wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> wait a so I'm never coming to a premiere. <laughs> <laughs> I have to stay away, or he'll stop and say some weird lady hawk thing. You know, this exactly. <laughs> <laughs> are you the hawk or are you the wolf? I, I have no idea at this point. <laughs> uh, I love that kid. I love that movie as a kid. By the way, I love that movie as a kid. I'm just gonna throw it up. Did you? <laughs> uh, Beef McCormick. Yes. You know curling man i love curling and, and you've got a curling team yes i love curling myself uh, i do actually play on a curling team i'm the captain of a curling team called the rock monsters it's actually you know uh, memoverse themed uh, the whole thing it's the official curling team of the memoverse uh, because all the members of the team are involved in the movie in some way who's on the team that would be myself uh, michael kaiser who played the monsters mark hater uh, who's played general castle and has been involved and Stephanie Mim, my wife, I should say. The uh, best actress in the universe ever, right? Your favorite. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean you're you're the <laughs> you're the you know, fan club president. Yes. Yes. Uh you know, we started we started a curling team uh, a couple years ago and I've been kind of a, just a fan of the sport since uh, probably the twenty ten Olympics is when I first really saw it. And I was just fascinated by how unique it is, shall we say. And I kind of got into it. And so Michael uh, Kaiser and I are big fans of the sport. We started watching it just on TV uh, because, you know, here in Minnesota, they show it on TV. 
not so much in other states, but here they do. And there is an American captain. He's called the skip, the skip of, of an American team. Uh, and his name is Heath with an H like the candy bar, Heath McCormick. Uh, and we were watching it and I'd never heard of this player before. And for some reason, while we were watching it, I kept thinking that the announcer was saying beef McCormick. <laughs> and like halfway through, I was like, I just said, Michael, are, is that guy's name Beef McCormick? He's like, no, it's Heath. I was like, oh, but Beef McCormick is a cool name, right? He's like, yeah, that is kind of cool. And so we started talking about what that would be. And that became, if I ever made a spy movie, Beef McCormick would be basically the James Bond of the Mimiverse. And that idea was out there. I put it on Facebook and people started sort of talking about it a little bit. And actually, there was a fan uh, who's a, a big fan and actually has been very instrumental in getting, you know, helping me build a fan base in the DFW Dallas area. His name's Michael Cross and he's a big fan of the movies and he's gotten me into a lot of conventions and, and theaters and stuff down there. And he was kind of pushing for Beef McCormick. He was like, I heard about that and I'm telling you, I want to see that really bad. And I was like, well, I don't know, you know, about making a full on Beef McCormick movie uh, just because it seems like it'd be outside of my particular budget. Mm. Just because if you're going to do a full on kind of James Bond movie, you need big action set pieces. Mm -hmm. And it might be fascinating to see what the heck we would attempt on the budgets we have to make a spy movie. It might be funny. But as I was talking to Mr. Cross, I had mentioned how and I, I had this idea of maybe I should do like I write a book, uh, a Beef McCormick book. Uh, and he's like, I would read that. You should do that. And Steve Sullivan, uh, who uh, wrote the Canoe Cops versus the Mummy that we read uh, on my my podcast, the Memoverse Monthly Audiocast, uh, at the end of everything, I, I would read a chapter of Canoe Cops versus the Mummy. And I did that for 19 straight months and read through the entire book. And then Steve published it as an actual book. Once that was up, I wanted to continue doing something like that at the end of my show, just to add a little bit of added value of like, even if you don't want to listen to me, you know, yammer on for 20 minutes beforehand, you can just skip ahead and listen to whatever is at the end, which is usually the, the chapter of the Kukovs at the time. And so I decided, you know, this is the perfect place for me to give it a try and, and write a book. Cause I've, I've wanted to write a book, uh, it was one of those things, make movie, write book, you know, it, it was on the list. <laughs> okay. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. I was going to write a chapter and just see if people actually enjoyed it. Because I've, I've never written a lot of narrative fiction. I've written quite a few scripts, but uh, not necessarily straightforward. It was different, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it a try. Uh, and I did chapter one, and I read it on the podcast. And, and I got actually quite a few emails because I said at the end, I was like, if you like it, you have to tell me to make more. Otherwise, I'm not going to. And so I got a, quite a few emails saying, yeah, good. We want to hear more. Keep doing it. Of course, Michael was the, the first person to do it. I'm on chapter, what, seven now. I think we've done six chapters. And I think it's coming together nicely. It's fun to play in a different sandbox, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, not only just writing, uh, which I find can be difficult to do, to sit down and do it, but having it that I need it at the end of every month for the next podcast, having that sort of requirement has helped a lot where it's like, well, I have to do it. 
I have to sit down and I have to write this chapter. And so, you know, I just sort of force myself to sit down. Once I start getting into it, I'm, I, I get kind of lost in it in a good way. It's fun. It's fun to do something different and to come up with even situations that my scripts wouldn't allow for. You know, we had a scene in a previous chapter where, you know, a guy lands a helicopter on a lake and, it, you know, the helicopter ends up sort of exploding and going through the lake. I mean, it's stuff you could never do in one of my movies. Uh, <laughs> and if I tried doing it, I can't imagine how it would <laughs> how it would look uh, or how to even do it without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars just to do it, which is just not possible. So that's kind of fun to be able to stretch my imagination into things that I can't do in a, in a movie script, at least not at my level. So that's, that's been kind of fun. And I think it's coming together well. And I, and I actually have a really great idea of where it's going to end up. Uh, and I'm starting to introduce some of those elements into the story of ways to really push the sort of espionage angle a little bit. And I don't know, it's just, it's, it's a different beast and it's, it's, um, it's been really fun. And I like the characters and I even created a character, which when I started writing it, he was just going to be sort of like a shadow. But now I've, I've sort of gotten it where you have these two characters that are sort of two sides of the same coin. And so I go back and forth between who's the focus of either chapter. Uh, and I'm actually having a lot of fun writing that. I've had fun listening, and and I hope that you do something with it afterwards, that it's released as a, a print novel. And I would even say you've got the audio file, put it out as an audio book. People should check it out down the line. Of course, you can listen to it now as part of the Memiverse Monthly podcast where you can hear Chris, you can hear Rich Chamberlain, the monster movie kid. You can hear me, uh, <laughs> you can hear Dr. Bob Tesla. Uh, it's a great show. Uh, keeps you up to date with what's going on with Demon with the Atomic Brain and everything else. If you, and I think, it's yeah. a, I think it's a fascinating look into my particular psychology. Given any one month, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of ups and downs uh, as even just a creative person, but also just making these movies. And you can sort of listen from month to month of just like, what's Chris going through this month? Because there's some months where it's like, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. And there's other months where it's like, this is the greatest thing ever, I love it. And so you can sort of watch the, the ebb and flow of my emotions based on where I'm at in the process. <laughs> it's, it's almost become a confessional for me, where it's like, I just, I got to talk about these things. And, and people, you know, listen. Uh, that's what I mean. It's like, if you don't want to hear that, you can just skip ahead to Derek stuff. But uh it's fun. It's good stuff. <laughs> when you decide what the next movie is going to be, the next project, will you announce it first on your show, on the Bonfire podcast, on Facebook? Where should people, well, obviously people should pay attention everywhere, but. Well, usually um, what we've been doing is I've always had Halloween as sort of a special date, mm -hmm. right? In the past, when I would release movies in the spring, Usually on Halloween, I would put out a, a single 24-hour preview of whatever the new movie was. Because mm -hmm. at that point, we'd already shot a lot of it, and I had stuff that was edited. So I'd throw out a scene for you to see and then pull it down after 24 hours. So you'd have to watch it that day. Uh, the last couple Halloweens uh, I've used as an excuse to announce the next movie. Uh, I announced uh, Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter and Demon with the Atomic Brain on Halloween. So I'm just saying there's a good chance if you pay attention on Halloween, something might 
might be announced. Okay. At least that's what I'm shooting for. If I'm going to make another movie and keep it going, uh, I, I need to kind of get moving. It's like the new movie is out, you know, just here in a couple of weeks. That gives me several weeks to make a decision and just let it be known and get moving. There you go. So pay attention. Facebook, YouTube. I'll mention it here as soon as it goes live. I'll make sure it's mentioned here. Obviously, Chris, I wish you the best with the premiere. I wish you the best with the release of this movie. I can't wait to see it. The trailer looks great. Uh, the the pre-trailer, I guess, the teaser you put out was awesome. The pictures, I, I just the images that you're showing in the trailer, just I, I want to see more. And I mean, this feels very epic, you know, the most epic of all the Mimiverse films, and I, I can't wait very much to so. sink myself into it. I've been telling people very much since I finished this movie and I watched it for the first time, I really honestly believe this is probably the best movie I've ever made just from it being a solid film from beginning to end. I very much like uh, all my films for what they are sure. uh, as they are. This one though, I'm, I'm exceptionally proud of. I think it just turned out really great. It's just a really fun, really cool movie. And I keep saying this, places and i'm telling everybody this is that toward the end of the process i have to watch my movie over and over and over again to look for flaws to look for things that need to be you know you get to this sort of like tweaking stage right it's like mm -hmm. the, the edit's done but then there's like okay maybe the audio on this isn't loud enough or the voice on this is too quiet or uh you know i found like a weird like little flaw in one of the special effects uh that was caused by just making changes and i had to go back and fix it so you have to watch it a whole bunch of times to just find those things and then also like be happy with like, okay, well that's as good as that's going to get. So we've got to leave, let it go. Uh, it is what it is. Usually by that point, it becomes like nails on a chalkboard for me to have to watch it again and again, because I've seen it so many times and I've basically been living it for nine months and I'm just, I'm done with it. You know, mm -hmm. I want to just be done and get it out uh, and move on to something else. And so by the time I'm at that stage, I just, it's a slog. It's hard to have to do and have to watch this over and over again with this movie. And this is the first time this ever happened. Never once in all those times I had to rewatch it. Did I ever not want to watch it again? Huh. I've enjoyed it every single time I've watched it. And there's even little things in there where it's just like, there's little things that make me laugh every time. Just, that worked out where I'm like kind of laughing at my own work. And it almost, you know, it's just like, wow, Oh, it works. And I really, really like it. And I really do genuinely think it's the best thing I've done. And of course that might be setting people up for disappointment because they're like, well, I don't know. I still like wear a Skeetle better, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's just, I think it's solid. I think it's solid. And I'm very, very proud of it. And all the people that were in it, uh, we got a lot of new people. They all did amazing work and it was really fun to bring in new people and bring in that new energy and new blood and i think that shows in the final product too uh and so i want people to check this one out if you've never seen any of my movies start here honestly uh and then just work your way backwards or start here then go to the giant spider then maybe whiskey i mean we could talk about that an entire show but this one absolutely you know is a great starting point I think it's going to take a lot of people by surprise, honestly, because I think the title is, you know, Dean with the Town Brain doesn't tell you that much, uh, but I think it's going to come out of left field a little bit and shock a few people and just how really, truly good it, 
it turned out. Well, it's the progression that I've seen from Danny Johnson from, well, going all the way back, really, from the beginning to now is any indication. I'm sure it's going to be a blast. And the title sounds great. Uh, like I said, the trailer looks amazing. And just I want, I want to wrap this up by sharing with you some comments that were shared with me uh, by a friend of the show, Tom Doffel, who has been kind of my right-hand man anytime I go to a local convention. When he came to the convention, Rose City Comic Con just recently to kind of help me out. It's like, have you seen Where's Hito Nazi Hunter yet? And he said no. And I said, well, here, you've got to see this movie. So I gave it to him. A couple of days later, he sends me a Facebook message. And, and I want to share this with you, Chris. <laughs> the Where's Hito is happening. It's like, okay, yes. These are the four things he sent me. This is amazing. LOL. <laughs> WTF is happening. This just got nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. I think all that. I, I hope Demon with the Atomic Brain gets nuts. <laughs> oh, there are moments that definitely get nuts. <laughs> The URL is really easy. Demonwiththeatomicbrain.com. Of course, Chris mentioned SaintEuphoria.com. You can find them online. Go check it out. Now, if you're in the area, in Columbia Heights, Minnesota, anywhere near there, go to the Heights Theater. Go to the premiere. Highly recommend you buy tickets in advance because sometimes they sell out. And Jeff Owens is going to be there. It sounds like a number of other Monster Kid Radio regulars and irregulars are going to be there as well. I know George McGowan is going to be there. So, listeners, I would love to hear what you think of the movie. When you're done seeing the movie, call in. Leave me a voicemail. Pass the phone around amongst your friends, and I'll play it on an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. Hard to forget because that's 5MKR at the end. Chris, best of luck at the premiere. Wish I could be there, man. What does it look like? I, I can't describe it. The hideous part of it is it's making the children obey its every command. The children are completely in its power. And we're in the power of the children. children, spreading a network of terror through a top-secret missile base in a nation's desperate hour of decision. Space children, the dangerous pawns of a power so strange that no sentries can stop them. Why did you let those children inside here? Not to woman, what children? No rocket can rise anywhere in the world. Four, three, two... One, fire! No army destroy them. Get those kids out of there! Avalanche of Terror. It's the Monster Bash Oktoberfest Movie Marathon. The entire Universal Frankenstein film series on the big screen. On Friday, Frankenstein. 
the bride of Frankenstein, the son of Frankenstein, and the ghost of Frankenstein. On Saturday, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, and finally, the classic Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Don't miss your chance to see Boris Karloff, Bella Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., Colin Clive, Basil Rathbone, Lionel Atwill, Maria Elspinskaya, and a slew of others, together on one of the biggest movie screens in the state of Ohio. The entire Universal Frankenstein film series, the way they were meant to be seen. The Monster Bash Oktoberfest Movie Marathon. The classic monster experience of a lifetime. Make your plans now. We will see you there. No! No! Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio, the end of Sword and Sandals and Monsters Month here on the show. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. If you have, I'd love to hear from you. I'll mention our voicemail line again. That's 503-4795-MKR, 503-479-5657. Or you can shoot me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. You can also look me up on Facebook. Monster Kid Radio has a Facebook page and a Facebook group where you can have conversations with other listeners of Monster Kid Radio and keep up to date with what's coming up on Monster Kid Radio, like what's happening next month on the show. I've posted what listeners can expect in October on Monster Kid Radio. You ready? Here's the breakdown. To celebrate the release of Demon with the Atomic Brain, next week's episode is going to be all about the Mimiverse. I'm not doing it by myself. We've got Steve Turek joining me. Steve is a longtime listener of the show, and I met him at Monster Bash. He's awesome, and he's enthusiastically been talking about the Mimiverse films on Facebook ever since he got back from Monster Bash. I can't wait to talk about all these movies. And, you know, it's not going to be just about the Mimiverse. I'm going to try to tie them into some other classic monster movies and and show how you can maybe pair these movies up, you know, like, like a wine with a fine meal, something along those lines. Anyway, that's happening next week on Monster Kid Radio. The week after that, we're going to bring you coverage. From the 2017 HP Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu Con. Chris McMillan is going to be in front of the microphone at some point. Dominique Lamsey will be in front of the microphone at some point. I want to bring the microphone with me all three days. I'm going to be a guest. I'm going to be doing a presentation. I don't know if I'm going to be on any panels, but I'm going to record. And you're going to get to hear all about it. Episode 340. Tom Bigler comes back to the show when he and I talk about the John Carradine classic horror of the blood monsters. And then the final episode of October, you know... We can't have October. We can't have the month of Halloween without one of our traditional monsters, Dwight Kemper. Well, okay, he's not the traditional monster, but Dwight Kemper is going to join the show, and we're going to talk about Son of Frankenstein. That's going to be so much fun. I'm looking forward to that as well. Next month, it's going to be great. Counting down to Halloween with Jeff Owens and all the other Crypt Keepers out there. You know, if you're participating in the countdown to Halloween, let me know. I'd love to talk about it and shoot people your way next month. And shoot people. Towards your blog. 
Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's going to be fun. I'm here to hear what your plans are for Halloween. I know I've got a few things that I try to do. I've mentioned it before. The HP Lovecraft Film Festival is kind of my official kickoff to the Halloween season. Although I've actually already kind of started getting there, and, and I'll mention that here in a second. I want to talk about the Lovecraft Film Festival. It's happening the first full weekend of October, October 6th, 7th, and 8th at the Hollywood Theater here in Portland, Oregon. Now, you guys and gals know that I'm a huge fan of H.P. Lovecraft, and I love this event. I've been going to this event for almost the entire time I've lived in Portland, which is at least, well, 15 years. It's been a while. I've been going to this thing, and every year, I just walk away from it feeling like I, I had a great time, and that was time well spent. Well, this year, I get to introduce one of the films, which I really appreciate that Brian and Gwen Callahan go out of their way to bring in a classic film, something a little more retro based on Lovecraft or inspired by Lovecraft. And this year, from Italy, from 1960, from director Mario Bava, starring Barbara Steele, Black Sunday. The sound you hear is dripping blood. This is the start of Black Sunday. Black Sunday comes but once every hundred years. On that day, the undead demons of hell rise to unleash an orgy of evil on the world. From Nikolaj Gogol's great classic, American International Pictures presents Black Sunday, the most frightening motion picture you have ever seen. She was murdered 500 years ago. There in the barren waste that was her cemetery, they nailed the mask of Satan to her face. Not since Dracula stalked the earth has there been such an unspeakable day and night as Black Sunday. I know that as of this recording, it is scheduled to play on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> My cat, Wednesday, is still very excited about it. I really hope you guys and gals can hear her because otherwise it just sounds like I'm a crazy person imagining the sounds of a cat. Anyway, it's happening on Saturday afternoon. It might happen again. The schedule's still a little in flux. Like I said, the panels and the presentations haven't been scheduled yet, but man, Black Sunday on the silver screen at the Hollywood Theater with your like-minded friends. Oh, wow. It's going to be a treat. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope to see you there. You know, and speaking of Lovecraft and speaking of October and all things spooky, I just discovered a new audio drama that I told the producer that I'd mentioned here on the show because I'm really enjoying it. I'm two episodes in. There's three episodes out right now. It's going to be a six-episode run, which kind of bumps me out because I don't want this thing to end. The first two episodes are just that good. It's called The Lovecraft Covenant. You can find out more about it at lovecraftcovenant.com. And they gave me permission to play this little trailer. <laughs> that the unidentified body of a white male in his 30s has been discovered within the historic graveyard. Witnesses claim the man's body was displayed in a ritual fashion, and the presence of FBI agents raises a terrifying question. Could this be the work of a serial killer? Federal agent, I am armed. Step out slowly with your hands where I can see them. I'm Special Agent Dolores Snail with the FBI. It's his name! All their names! Those can't be their real names! That means 
they're real. If they're real... Oh, God. No, 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 no. The, the other victims. They're from Lovecraft stories, too. But that's just it. Lovecraft is supposed to be make-believe. These characters... These people... They're real. And if they're real, Chloe... If they're real, how much else of what that man wrote is real? Ritual murders, apocalypse paintings, victims right out of the pages of fiction. What the hell have we stepped in, Chloe? So you will remain my witness. For now. Your witness? Yes, Jack. It's a great honor. The calling of bards and poets. You get to watch what I do to them. <laughs> the episodes run uh, no longer than half an hour, if that. So, I mean, it's short, you're in, you're out, and you get a really good story. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. And what you heard there, that trailer, that's a combination of different bits of dialogues and scenes from the audio drama. Check them out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. That does bring us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for tagging along and letting me get into your ears once a week. I've enjoyed talking about these movies with people, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to us yammer on and on and on, and sometimes on and on and on about them. Between now and next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to this week's featured song, Your Move, Creep. It's from the band The Anonymous Henchmen. They're a surf band in an underground lair in the depths of the jungle in Omaha, Nebraska. This is from their album, The Coming Thing. And check this out. They've got a show coming up in October, October 11th. They're playing with the band Necromantics at the Lookout Lounge in Omaha. How awesome is that? So if you're in the area, drop by. Let them know that you heard about them here on the show. Between now and then... I guess all the time. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.